For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Talking about weather there a few seconds ago, I don't know how many people might have actually seen that tornado twister. I think they call it a mini tornado. This one, of course, out in Ballancolly, captured uh, by video, um, on video by Elaine Pilkington in her back garden. And you see on the video uh, on Saturday, cows running for cover as the tornado twisted its way through uh, the farmland. It looked fairly spectacular, I can tell you. The video shows the swirling twister making its way across the field as the cows run for cover. It's a story that's picked up by the uh, the mail this morning. And what makes it more interesting is this is the second mini tornado uh, in the past month because you recall the damage that was done on Barrack Street in the city uh, just uh, late March. Um, and the amount of damage, I think you had, you know, bins thrown about and, you know, sheets of metal and buildings damaged and cables down and all sorts of things like that happened in the early hours of the morning on Barrack Street. So that's an interesting one. All of the papers today, particularly uh, the Red Tops, not just today, but all weekend long, I've been talking about the death of Broad, Broad. Uh, one of the beloved dogs of the president, Michael D. Uh, it's a Bernese mountain dog, um, and they drill into all of the different dogs, actually, that the president has had uh, over the years in Orishanook, Toronto. Of course, you had Broad. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Knowing me, I'm not. 11-year-old passed away. And then there's Mishnok, another one of the loved dogs, and a previous dog known as Shudder, uh, winning the hearts of the nation. Um, and all of the everybody, you know, people just love their pets primarily, that they're dogs, so... It's no wonder the newspapers are talking about it. But from, you know, from people that you love to little babies in, in prams and what have you. And Cork Bureau reporting are really, um, like this was a, a near miss, half past 11 yesterday morning uh, in and around the junction of uh, Patrick Street and Marlborough Street, apparently, uh, where uh, a tot narrowly avoided being injured as his little buggy got destroyed. What happened? A car reversed into it at the pedestrian crossing in the city centre of Cork, Bure, saying that the vehicle reversed back into the crossing, taking out a pole and hitting the buggy. Now, a young couple and their child were involved in this, uh, and the child's only six months old. Um, thankfully, the tot wasn't hit, uh, but Dad ended up on the road and was later taken to hospital with what's believed to be minor injury, but that could have been absolutely uh, tragic. What is a tragedy is the amount of affordable homes on Leaside with nobody living in them. A story that's during the rounds this morning uh, and it's on information released uh, by Sinn Féin TD Tommy Gould that there's nobody living in any of the 135 affordable homes that were built last year. They are ready but they ain't nobody living in them. 135. Apparently the reason has been given. They were finished last August incidentally. It's almost a year now at this stage. So council are waiting to finish the sales process. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why I even kind of half laugh about something like this. It's just pathetic. Uh, these are houses that are ready in Cork. They're ready, they're built, and people are looking for them. May well have more on that a little later on because the Echo leads with another regeneration. Well, this is another stalled story, uh, again involving Cork City Council, and it's part of the Knocknaheeny regeneration scheme. And that's stalled with houses that have been unfinished, unfinished for over three years. And there's 24 of them alone up on Kilmore Road Lower on the north side. Um, and of course, this is frustrating for people who are looking on, looking for a house, or even those that are willing to buy a house, an affordable house. Um, the ever-changing world that we live in uh, involves less and less options to use cash. 
and now there is no ticket agent anymore at the bus station. It's a story that makes the side front page of this morning's Echo and Ken O'Flynn, the councillor, says that it's not right. They're my words, not him. He says there is no physical person that you can talk to there anymore. So if you're, say for instance, as an example, a pensioner who isn't internet savvy or doesn't have a smartphone or indeed tap or go or anything like that and can't book online, how are you supposed to buy or get yourself a bus ticket? Well, apparently one of the ways to do it, apparently, according to Boss Aaron, is that you should ask a member of the public to book your ticket online for you. Like what? Total stranger? Uh, but anyway, it's the ever-changing world we live in where cash really is becoming less and less acceptable. So much so that we shared a story on the weekend, actually, about trying to spend a penny in Balancholic Regional Park. You'll only be able to pay for the use of the loo by card. So the old days of uh, spending literally a penny or a tuppence or a fippence or a shilling or tenpence or 20, pence coin, 20 cent coin, gone. It's only, uh, you can't spend the penny anymore. It's tap and go for the loo. You want to go, then you tap and go. And then there's a story that's been making the newspapers from time to time when it comes up in court and it's the theft of a nine and a half thousand euro bracelet. It's very brazen, uh, this story of a 47 year old man who walks into a jeweler shop, except this isn't a joke. The jeweler shop's on Castle Street uh, and he asks to try on a gold bracelet worth nine and a half grand but just walks out with it, fled the pre- premises wearing it. Apparently, he said, um, he, he put it on and then he calmly told the person working there that he was going to leave the premises with the jewellery. Now, he was intoxicated and the guardie found him still wearing uh, the bracelet. But what's very interesting about this is the amount of previous that was involved in uh, in this guy's uh, escapades of late, Jerry Foley. Um, uh, the appeal, he was up in court and they, they, there was sentencing for it. But just interesting, uh, there was also... Um, details of early, earlier offences. Irwin's Pharmacy on Shandon Street, um, a, a private property on the South Douglas Road, um, burglary of an interference with a car on Melbourne Road, shoplifting at JD Sports on Patrick Street, interfering with a car outside a house in Ovens, shoplifting in Tesco in Wilton, All Care Night Pharmacy, uh, and a car stolen in Coachford, um, just to be getting on with things. And then later this morning, I'll, I'll chat with um, the woman who actually brought this all the way uh, and won her case in the RTB. It's the story of Gabriella Lake. It's a headline making The Independent today where it says, illegally evicted mum had her car burnt out and her belongings destroyed and dumped in a shed. It's the story of a tenant who was illegally evicted as was proven by the RTB, from her rental home. Car burnt out, belongings thrown in a shed. Guardy had to be called to her property so that she could get her late husband's ashes back again. Uh, she'd been renting the house in Skibbereen for four years. Uh, and to put it lightly, I mean, you couldn't overemphasize this, the amount of severe stress and anxiety that was caused because of what happened. Um, she, I mean, literally overnight find yourself homeless. Actually, there's a lot of housing-related stories making the papers today. They're trying to make things better for builders by uh, maybe waiving the, the levies or abolishing the levies, which would save, they say, construction 25 grand per house. One would hope that they would pass that saving on to the uh, to the purchaser of the house, wouldn't you? And also, um, the story with regards to the COVID bonus, they miscalculated how much it would cost the state. They had thought it would be 100 million in 1,000 euro COVID bonuses, but it's actually turned out to be 200 million. But that wouldn't surprise me because they always get calculations wrong with regards to how much things are going to cost. And you know that GSOC cop or the GSOC Garda, 
Um, he is apparently now set to leave Ireland. It's a front pager making uh, the mirror. This is the investigator who quit over claims that he attended a party with Jerry the Hot Jerry the Monk Hutch. He's now a set. He, apparently, he's he's been sacked as a guard, or as, I think maybe he, he quit. I'm not quite sure which. But he can't be investigated. Yeah, because he resigned, so he can't be investigated because he's no longer a guard, uh, and he's just going to leave Ireland and jet off overseas. But they are suggesting that mandatory drug testing of Gardaí should be implemented without delay. I was asking the question this morning, why? Um, why would you hone in on just members of Vanguard Shikana? Uh, is, it, is, it like, is it because they think maybe there could be some members of Vanguard Shikana that might be in league with drug dealers or just members of Vanguard Shikana that are taking drugs? But if that's the case, wouldn't you be looking at all of the civil service? But it's a headline making the mail today, make drug testing of Gardaí mandatory. And while that's happening, the Mirror is saying, um, well, the Garda Representative Association have a conference kicking off in Westport tomorrow. And one of the things that they're going to be asking for is that tasers should be available to all frontline officers. Like tasers, they're saying, will end assaults on officers. Full stop. Guard has a taser never be assaulted because he just or she can react so much more quickly with a taser. There's an interesting one with frontline workers, particularly those in, in, in fast food. It's the story of Burger King and it makes the sun today. It's a double-page spread actually of low-paid staff at Burger King have been told that they have to fork out for second-hand uniforms and they must also act as security when trouble breaks out. Now, this is not acceptable. The staff behind the counter have to double up as security. Uh, not acceptable at all. When Burger King make vast profits and the only thing that seems to be going up in um, Burger King is their prices, according to The Sun today. Um, the low-paid staff apparently also have to go to pennies uh, to try and pick up cheap staff-working black T-shirts, by all accounts. Uh, but they go into it in a lot of detail this morning uh, with regards to the rates of pay for people working in fast food. Now, this could be, I guess, your Burger Kings or indeed your uh, McDonald's or, or companies like that. And then, apparently, in a country that's plagued with gambling problems, the lottery, the national lottery, will allow you to prepay for up to a year. And this has been branded as lethal by addiction specialists. They're saying the lotto's one-year prepay offer will spark gambling addiction with members of the public who up until now have just been tipping away. I mean, there's over a billion spent every year on the lotto. And now they're saying, you know, don't just buy for one play or two plays or a week. Just pay in advance for an entire year. Why don't you? Now, Paddy Powers actually talking about gambling have put Paddy Keelty just behind uh, Claire Byrne as the possible takeover for the Late Late Show. He came out of nowhere, uh, the comedian Patrick Keelty, and he's now the second. He's kind of like almost like a, they call him front runners, I suppose, but the real front runner still is Claire Byrne, but he's not too far behind her with regards to the booking odds and the papers talk of that today. And also, there was a big auction at the weekend if you were a fan of Saturday Night Fever, particularly the three piece polyester suit. The white one, worn by John Travolta, it sold at the weekend for $236,000. <laughs> he wouldn't give it away for free if it hadn't been worn by Travolta. But I suppose one of the, one of the more interesting stories today is buried away in the papers, and it's Marmite. You know, and I know we talk of Marmite and, you know, it's a term that's used because you either love or you hate. So people say, well, he's a bit like Marmite or she's a bit like Marmite. But they want to find out now whether babies in the womb 
like the taste of Marmite. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but they're discovering, does the love of Marmite, Marmite or the hate of Marmite actually develop before you're born at all? So what they're doing, apparently, is they are giving pregnant mums a spoonful of Marmite to eat. And they've got a 4D ultrasonic scan watching the baby's reaction. <laughs> Watching the baby's reaction. Um, so it's either a grimace or a grin, I suppose. A grimace or a grin. Anyway, that's just a selection for the morning. Text 0868 104 106. We've got calls on the way. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. And you can text 0868 104 and pick up the phone on 0818 104 I came across the most beautiful story over the weekend. It's the story of Rian De Bruyne um, and his uh, pal who has written a song about him. It's a beautiful song. I want to play it for you in a few minutes time but just looking at the late Rian De Bruyne's story. Uh, young lad from West Cork, a student at St. Brogan's College in Bandon. Very outgoing but sadly uh, unfortunately uh, decided that life wasn't for him and took that ultimate step of course that broke the hearts of all of his family and his friends including his mother Saoirse and she joins me by phone this morning. Saoirse good morning. Morning. And the lads are telling me that you, you still talk of Rian in the present tense. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> he's because always he, going to be. Because he's me. always with you. He's always around you. Yeah. Yeah. In that kind of physical sense. His soul, I suppose. Well, yeah. not in the physical his sense. His soul, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. His, yeah. his essence, his soul. Like, I'm not going to. You know, I'm not going to ever forget that. And I think, like, the narrative around grief in society, like, you know, it's, I don't know, it's it's kind of needs to be changed mm. or, or not even changed, but I think we need to learn how do we live with this kind of grief. I mm. mean, mm. suicide grief is so complicated. It's so devastating. And <clears throat> do you know what Aidan has done with this song? It's what... You know, Aiden is 15, like Rian was 15 when he was I was going life. to ask you, 15 years old, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but only a month, so... And the 16th so of February 2022, your life changed forever. Yeah, my life changed forever. And not just mine, but so many people's lives changed forever, mm. do you know what I mean? His mm. little sister, all my family, all his friends, our community in Ballinine, you know, Band and Demanway. Rian was known everywhere, like known everywhere. But it's like, I see what Aiden has done in this song. Is like, he's 15, Aiden has put into words what most adults, what we can't even, what we can't even put into words. Yeah, it's and called We Ain't I, Mad At You, Aiden Burke's song, We Ain't Mad At You. Um, and I will play that and chat with Aiden in a few minutes' time. But I just, you know, it, there was nothing to show, there was no outright signs, you're saying, that he was struggling with anything. But you think that lockdown had a, a very detrimental effect on young people. Am I right in saying that? Well, I feel like it had an effect on all of us. Like, you know, I can't really, you know, you can't really say when it comes to suicide, you don't know. You know, like, people are in pain. If someone has a broken leg, you can see broken leg, fine. But, like, if you're feeling suicidal, you are in pain. You know, but we all wear a mask. But it's like, how do we talk about suicide? You keep hearing, let's talk about suicide. But there's no language around how to talk about it. You know, mm. there is the SIS training. That's a very good training. But it's like we're afraid to talk about it because maybe if it comes up in conversation, someone's going to do it. But it's like, it's on the telly. It's in the music. 
you know, people are, it's kind of optional. You know, even watching Friends with my daughter, there's so many references joking about, you know, I'm going to kill myself. Oh, you know, so yeah, it's like, yeah. do you know, it's like... Those okay, reruns so, can be damaging because they're of a different time, you know? Yeah, different times, but it's like, okay, how do we talk about suicide? You know, you have to talk about the aftermath of it. Like, if you're feeling suicidal, you have to remember, like, you matter, like, your life matters. You're needed here, mm. you know? Mm. And But he he had a, you had a very open relationship with, I believe, his, you know, both Rian, parents. Yeah, me and Rian were very close. Um, he's such a cool person. Like, he's very open, honest. He was very wise beyond his years. Like, I always learned off Rian. Like, I felt like he was here to teach me, you know? Yeah. We, um... He was very caring, like Rian could like feel everything. You know, Rian was very sweet, very caring. He'd help anyone. He just had an ability to kind of know who you are. Like you couldn't be fake. You know, Rian brought the best out in everyone, the best version of themselves. You couldn't help but be that person, see who you really were. When yeah, you yeah, yeah. He was a third year student in St. Brogan's, well loved by everybody, yeah. but incredibly talented now. He could play six different instruments, right? Yeah. Uh, and I heard that during lockdown, he taught himself to play a full album of the Pogues by ear. What instruments did he learn? Okay, so he started with the concertina. He's doing that for years with Tommy, Tommy O'Leary, if you're listening. Um, then he could do the banjo. Well, he got the fiddle. He really wanted the fiddle. Then he started turning that sideways and playing it that way because he loved um, the movie where Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Oh, yeah. yeah. George Clooney. So he was like, oh, yeah. mommy, I want the banjo. And I was like, okay, so it's the fiddle sideways. So he got the banjo, fiddle, concertina, uh, tin whistle, guitar. He started guitar with his music teacher, Mia and Broken. So he just started that in first year. Um, yeah, I think that's the six of it. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it's so five, but I let, you, I let you off oh, the sixth one. <laughs> there's something else. I know Granny's going to be like, you forgot to say. I know. Um, so, yeah, the Pogues, oh my God, I thought if I heard the Pogues one more time in the lockdown, I was going to What an mad, incredibly talented young man. And yeah. because, because, of course, a lot of people were cocooning and isolating, a lot of them elderly. I hear that he used to yeah. play outside the window of the elderly on the street during lockdown. Is that right? Well, he went out a couple of times onto the terrace because the acoustics out there were unreal, but he used to leave his window open and it used to kind of go out and the neighbours used to love it and... Yeah, although even though the Pogues is driving me mad, now it's my most treasured album. <laughs> I know, so, I know, yeah. I know, I know. And he did jujitsu as well with Galera. And, so how do you, you piece know, together what happened? There, I'll never know. You'll never know. You just, you can't really dwell, like I can't really dwell on, oh, what happened? Like, what can I do now? I just have to live with this is, this is our life now. And how do I... How do I live with honouring Rian? It's so shit that this is what's after happening to mm. my boy. Mm. But this is an epidemic. This is happening every day of the week in this country. Do you think it's that bad? Yeah, we just don't hear I about it. I do know it, it is that bad. And I know it's that bad. And I mean, I could go off on all the statistics, but these are our people. They're not statistics. Do you know? And, what, and, and, and the pressures that they're under, what are they? I don't know. I don't know. Like, you couldn't say Rian was under, you know... You could, you'd, I didn't see it coming. He wasn't there. Rian got out of bed happy every day of his life. He just got out of bed smiling his whole life. And I used to say to him, I was like, Rian, jump out of bed happy. Like, you know, I don't know. 
You know, when you say something like that, it would put the shivers up every mother or father listening because they just wouldn't know. You just wouldn't know. And the only thing is, it is okay to say to someone, are you feeling suicidal? Do you know, it's okay to talk about it. Maybe put on the song, Aiden's song. Like, we have to talk about the aftermath of suicide. This is what Aiden has done in the song. You know, there's lyrics. It's more than a song. This is like a tool that people can use to have a language to speak around what suicide is. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's way more to this. And this is from a 15-year-old boy yeah. who lost his friend. Yeah. I think Aiden probably, or I should say Berkey, actually, so you can look him up <laughs> on YouTube and Spotify, Berkey. So, you know, maybe he was 14 when he started writing this song, probably, you know, because Rian was 15. And this is a tool to have a language around how to talk about suicide. Yeah, maybe because the ripple, effect, the, the ripple effect of the loss of a loved one like Rian is parents, Rian's sister, your daughter, obviously all of his friends, grandparents, the greater community. It's like throwing a pebble in a pool, isn't it? It is. And I mean, this is, this is, you know, this grief, you can bury it and it might come up in 10 years, 20 years time. We don't know what this is going to do. You know what I mean? You know, and he was, it's just, we don't know what to do with this kind of grief in society. We don't have the we don't have the language. We don't have the tools. And do you do you think that, that when you talk about more and more young people struggling now or indeed sadly taking that ultimate step of their own life that, because I'm probably quoting you accurately saying, lockdown destroyed their entire world? Um, well, I don't know about quoting me, but like maybe I might have said, you know, for me now, yes, uh, we're having that conversation. Yeah, it, it impacted everybody. But I mean, we all know that. But as adults, we do. The young people... We're coming around now, but it was, it was, you know. Yeah, because they're, um, they're on the most interesting adventure of us all, really, the yeah. young people, you know. Do you know, and I, don't, I think we have a lot to learn from the young people as well, do you know, and I think we don't give them enough, you know, they're not heard enough in society, really, are they, do you know, mm. we kind of... Mm. Let's hear from... Let's hear from... It's left up to us, and I think maybe the young people and the older people, we need to actually be learning off them. Let's, let's <laughs> find know? out from Berkey, he joins me by phone. Aidan, good morning. Morning, how are things, Neil? Well done, man. Great song, and it's really been picked up all over the world, isn't it? Yeah, I'm so delighted with myself. It's absolutely crazy. You know, I'd just like to give a few thanks there to, like, uh, Coco and M5 Sound Studio in Cork, and especially Nicole ND, who uh, helps feature on the track. Uh, is is Nicole is doing co-vocals with you, I think, is it? She is, yeah. She does the hook for my song. She's in a different league, isn't she? Absolutely. Oh, I haven't heard anything, like, in oh, a minute now, you know. Tell me about tell me about your body. Tell me about Rian. Okay, so um, like <clears throat> I I met him for the first time there. I want to say in September of 2021, and um, that was you know it was a good time. Like, but uh, then in December, you know, uh, my mother unfortunately contracted COVID, and she was on life support for uh, 72 or three days, I think. Oh my god. So yeah, we were told a few times that she mightn't even make it. But like every single morning, you know, Reen was every morning now he'd ask me, How's your mother doing? And then, you know, he just he just meant a lot with me that, that way, you know? And like you just you just don't know because like he was asking me, I thought I was bad because my mother was sick. And he was asking me every morning, Look, are you alright, Aid? And you know, how are you keeping? How's your mother? Yeah. And then, you know, the following month in February he just goes off and does that like Yeah, yeah, yeah. You must have been beyond shocked when you heard, were you? Oh, you've no idea. It's like a void in your life. He's there one moment and gone the next. Yeah. Yeah. 
do you have anything to add with regards to young people and their struggles, I wonder? I mean, you do a lot of it in the song, but talk to me about that and, and maybe even the effects of COVID lockdowns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I just want to talk to like, all the young fellas and young girls out there that, like, you know, like, checking up on your friends doesn't make you any less gangster or anything. Like, you know, it's not about your ego at the end of the day, you know? So, like, just check in on your friends because you would never know what someone's going through and you and could say, have read it. And, and how do you do that? Like, what do you say? You just, just, all it takes is, you know, how are you feeling? Like, what's up, you know? Because you just never know. Like, absolutely no symptoms out of my friend here. Like, mm. 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 it's very difficult, too. Like, you know, I understand, too. But, like, just check in on your friends, guys. What kind of pressure, though, are, I mean, you're 15 years old, although... Talking to you, you sound much more mature in your, than your years. But so, what what are the pressures that young people are going on? They're in the education system, right? They're surrounded yeah. by negative news these days, whether it's jobs or immigration or housing or prospects. Is that what it is? Mm. Well, you know, of course, I can't talk for everyone, but um, you know, like I suppose there's a bit like exam pressure. Like right now, I'm in third year. You know. Like, personally, you know, um, exam pressure is not phasing me at the moment. I'm grand. But, you know, some people, like, just can't really cope with the pressure. Yeah. The pressure like, of, yeah, the pressure of having to get the most points, straight A's. Yeah. 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 Maybe the pressure of not everybody isn't academically orientated, right? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, but when you look at at Rian and his talent in music, it's an awful loss, isn't it? Yeah, and you know something—he was such a funny guy. Like you know, he'd bring a smile to anyone's face in his path of life. Like you put it so beautifully. So the song now um, has mm. been released, and is the idea now? I think a Canadian charity has picked up on it, and they they want to get it played across schools in the USA, Canada, Australia, Europe, Ireland. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's correct. Um, they're a group called Healing to the Max, and they're looking to use my song as a kind of a, a theme song, if you will, yeah. for the presentations. Yeah. Because they were just like that. Now they were just so touched that, like, you know, what a 14, 15 year old could do for their friend, like that, you know? Let's, let's listen to it, shall we, Berkey? But is, is this your path in life, do you think? Uh, is this where you're going to go, music? You know, absolutely, because, um, you know, when Rain died there in February, February last year, he. Um, we all went up to the town park with a load of helium balloons, you know? And we just thought that, like, uh, it would be kind of nice just to see all the helium balloons go off. So there yeah. was, I want to say, like, one or two hundred people there, you know, yeah. of all ages, and that, you know, from the town. But um, then they have a speaker with them to play his favourite song. So, like, all of, I remember this now with great, you know, bittersweetness, and I love this now, because um, the homie, you know, Shadow RK, he had the speaker, and he holds it up, and he plays um, his favourite song, Ophelia by the Luminers. That was Ring's favorite song. And then, um, you know, he knew that I was listening to a lot of it. Like, you know, I like the old school hip hop kind of stuff. Yeah. He, was, he knew that I was listening he to was that, an like, 80, a lot. He was an 80s fan, though, I hear. Yeah. But, like, like me, I was listening to, like, you know, Biggie, Pac, and Nas. Because, you know, I just like their lyrics. And, you know, they're really meaningful, which helped me through a lot, like, a lot of hard times. Yeah. You know, even put a little Tupac quote in the song. Yeah. But um, he goes... Come on, Borky, can't you do something with it? And uh, he put on the instrumental then to uh, Big Papa by Biggie Smalls. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Great <laughs> and, memory. And, and the speaker had a little strap on it. So I pushed the speaker around my neck and I'm standing there. And now everyone that was at the event is circling around me. And just for three or four minutes, you know, everyone was just smiling and happy again. 
and I knew that like I changed I feel like I changed their attitude for about 10 minutes and I knew if I could do that with one song I knew that was my path and that's what I want to do with my well life. done well done may you have a fantastically successful path because you certainly have the talent gotta have a listen to it not just Aidan Burke but Nicole as well I wish you all the best Aidan and also Saoirse right. to your good self as well and all of the family yeah. thank you so much for chatting with you. us this can morning I, can thanks. I just say well thanks everyone and Aidan thank you for doing this song so I think as well you're very welcome to get it played more on the radio that's up to you Neil keep saying it <laughs> and everyone like listen to it share this song it's on Spotify it's on YouTube look up Berkey and share it on your social media or if you're worried about someone that's suicidal and you don't know what to say sit down and listen to the song with them you know this is all we can do we can just do our best and this song here it is the tool for you to be able to help somebody else or just help yourself by listening to it because like the aftermath of suicide it's such devastation it's such devastation if you're feeling suicidal you're in pain it's not like you can't see it but you are in pain and you can get help and you are needed you are loved and your life matters and we all need you here do you know what I mean so Aidan I just think Thank you so much for what you're doing for me no, and for, for all of you. So now you're everyone, so welcome, keep sharing Sarah. the song. It's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. Berkey, share it. Share it on social media. Keep sharing it. Thanks, Sarah. Let's not just have that for this week. Let's have this forevermore. Thanks, Mom. You're very good. Right, thanks, Berkey. Thanks so Samaritans are on one one six one two three one one six one two three. Cheers, guys. Here it is. We ain't mad at you. Not too long ago Back when everyone was happy and could live life slow Everything just took a turn for the worse I couldn't comprehend seeing my friend in a hearse And if you're wondering what happened, I am as well Cause everything just blackened, so now I just dwell Always the ones that you least expect They take their lives too hectic And the only antiseptic is to take their own life And it just ain't right, don't disrespect it And please don't ever neglect it Cause you never really know how much deep inside they suffer Mama always said don't judge a book by its cover I lost my friend to a suicide I wish he never died When the news broke a whole town cried It took some strength to make it The pain I'll never shake it Time makes you stronger so you know that we ain't mad at ya About the day so bliss But now I wonder How did it get like this Once brothers and sisters of the same kind All harmless but young messes at the same time Now since you left us All I can hear is the death is because you bless us So won't cry because you're gone Instead of smile thinking about how we got along And just focus on that message in this very song But now it's one too many peers in the cemetery Is years destined to grieving That's what I'm seeing through these tears in my eyes Can't stand to see you pass me by I had so much to say rather than that plain goodbye Too close to me and many others We put that on our mothers Can't stand to see another friend in the earth now That really hurt now But Lord knows we're just so alert now So we ain't mad at you 
wanna see my friends take flight to new heights Lord knows the pain was enough to make me insane I wanna look back because I'm trying to keep a sane brain I'm looking to a bright future Never forgetting about your humor and who you were A little ruler, always like a king May the angels sing until we meet again I'm with you till the very end But don't worry about it If there is something I learned from all this It's like Tupac said Through every dark night, there's a bright day after that so no matter how hard it gets, stick your chest out, keep your head up, and handle it. We miss you, boy. We love you. Rest in peace. We never got to say goodbye. So we ain't mad at you. that beautiful song is just really and truly gorgeous well done to Aidan Burke Berkey and Nicole as Tupac said through every dark night there's a bright day after that we ain't mad at you it's incredible incredible talent and uh, as we remember uh, Rian De Bruin who passed away at the age of 15 if you're struggling or you know someone that could uh, need help ask um, that's the message that Berkey's given to people just ask how you're doing it could make all the difference you can also contact the Samaritans on 116123 back after the break talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818 104 106 Cork's Red FM yes indeed text 0868104106 you can also text or pick up the phone on 0818104106 and Friday uh, on a lighter note we had some great crack on Friday with regards to all of the different Cork characters on Leaside and amongst them of course uh, was um, uh, Liam Higgin who gave us a long list of all of the characters people have been adding to that ever since I have to say uh, but there was other stories as well on air and it included Alina who we were chatting with uh, originally from uh, Romania and now living here uh, but um, you know she was in an awful housing situation and moved out of it she got help from a charity to get out of there and ultimately got herself a place in, in the commons with her, her son. Uh, and uh, you may have heard that conversation. Um, quite a lot of people actually texting on that and amongst them, uh, people who are pushing back as to the state of the country. Like, are you for real? This is a joke. Irish homeless people and people working hard can't afford food, rent or anything. You're talking on the air with a person uh, who was a young boy and is pregnant again with twins. In all fairness, if an Irish woman went to Romania in the same circumstances, she would get nothing and be sent back to Ireland very quickly. Our country's turned into a joke. Somebody else says people who come here all too often are here to screw the country. They're up to everything. Um, a Romanian contacted who said, I'm Romanian and I would never do something like that. Why don't they go back home if they're doing so badly here? I'm working, my husband as well. We pay crazy rent and crazy taxes and we don't complain. Others are coming here, like many other countries' people, uh, and uh, are doing so many bad things for which all the decent Romanian community is paying for. Um, they make you think twice about your answer when someone is asking you where you are from. As in, she's saying, I'm slow to say I'm Romanian. They're here for crazy social welfare benefits. Uh, what is this particular lady doing? What is she working at? What does she do for a living? 
What is the husband, the partner, the father, whatever doing? Why is she having two more kids when she can't afford one? I will tell you why. Because they get great money and probably soon a free house. Some Romanians will never, ever, ever do these kind of things. And it makes it so unfair on the rest of us. Uh, quite a lot of text then on the issues regarding uh, my conversation on modular houses. But all the refugees up in the north side and keep the south side free, says some wise crack. Ken O'Flynn should drive out of the north side once in a while. They're lifting the modular places, modular homes into place in Mahan. I pointed that out to him on Friday morning as we were chatting. But other texts say people should remember that for every one person who gets asylum in Ireland, another five or six family members come here automatically. And so the numbers just keep up adding up and up and up. Um, talking about housing, though, or lack of, of housing, or indeed the lifting of the eviction ban. Remember I mentioned a story there just after nine uh, of a case that went to the RTB. It's the story of Gabriella Lake, a mother of three, who was renting a house in Skibberina, West Cork, for four years. And then things took an awful turn for the worse. She joins me by phone. Gabriella, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking the call. I read the article in the Irish Independent at length this morning. You have been through the horrors. Um, everything was going fine. All the rent was being paid and everything, wasn't it? Sadly then, yep. s- sadly, your, your, your partner passed away. Was that the case? Right, uh, but he passed away um, while I was living in that house. Yes, uh, and, you, that. Yeah, and you had the ashes in that. But, but what actually happened? So I was on in America, and as I normally do for the summer, and my daughter was going to pay rent for July and August ahead of time before she left America. And one of her close friends committed suicide, and she was distraught, and it slipped her mind. I had been in contact with the landlord throughout the summers. I normally do chit-chatting. The last conversation I had with him was him asking me to bring him back a Carhartt jacket. Then I received a text saying that rent had not been paid. Um, and I immediately contacted my daughter and she told me what happened and I explained that to him and that was on a Friday. By Monday, Grant was paid. He was and preoccupied with grief. Would it have been the loss of a young friend? It was. Not it, another it was one. Friend committed suicide and it was just completely traumatizing. Oh, no. And, God and because I had been in contact with him and he never mentioned anything, I thought everything was fine. So we paid the rent immediately. The minute he said that, I apologized. And I never heard back from him. And then when my daughter returned back uh, home uh, the following month, uh, he had been in the house. He had moved into the house uh, in early September after rent had been paid and rent was current and everything. He wouldn't let her in the house. He started yelling at her and, you know, he was crying. She calls the Garda for help. He's mocking her, saying, oh, the Garda, the Garda, and making fun of her. Okay, but I do, I do, I know that there was a text at some stage from the landlord saying, uh, I've had nothing from you about the rent. I'm moving home. I'll give you two weeks to pick up your belongings. After that, I will take them to the dump. Correct. And that's when I immediately replied to him when I saw the message. Mm. And I explained to him what happened. And I sent him the rent. I sent him screenshots of the deposit that was made and everything. Um, and never heard back from him again. So mm. I thought everything was status quo. And when my daughter returned, he wouldn't let her in the house. Mm. We called the Garda. I'm stranded in America, you know, frantic. Um, the Garda wouldn't do anything. They said it was a civil matter. Um, and they were catering to the land. They said Garda received a report of an alleged incident of criminal damage at a property in Skibbereen. Investigations are ongoing at this time. Uh, but so they, that was two months later. Was it? That, I was stranded in America for two months trying to find accommodations, trying to get my belongings. He wouldn't return my belongings. I finally flew back in December yeah. when I found accommodations. I went in 
to try to get my belongings after contacting Garda several times crying. You know, everything in that house is mine to the yeah. last fork. The yeah. house was unfinished, yeah. unfurnished. So I finally went on December 28th only to find that my car had been burned. He burned one of the cars. He had gotten rid of the other car. How do you know that, though? Because the keys were inside the house. Um, everything was inside the house. And he, the cars were parked in the driveway. They always were. And he had moved, when my daughter went there in October, he had moved one of the cars behind the house, and the other car was missing. Oh, my God. And like the rent, rent, the RTB board, because this went to the RTB board, and I'm quoting them. They said that they were satisfied on the balance of probabilities that the landlord was responsible for the loss and damage to the two vehicles. Right, and that is because he admitted um, when my daughter was there, he said, I'm going to throw your stuff in the dump and I'm going to burn your cars. And he said that to the lady that was with my daughter. Good um, God. On that time, and he followed through. And then in one of the letters that he wrote, he wrote that he moved the car himself and parked it behind the house. Okay. And he left it there. Were you, um, given, and were you ever given an opportunity to retrieve all of your belongings? No, and that's why I filed an RTB complaint. I did not even know about the monetary compensation. Um, I was the whole purpose I was doing it was trying to get my belongings because imagine you go shopping and you leave everything at home and you come back and you can't get into the house. That's what happened to me. So I, we went to the adjudication board. I submitted all the proof and everything. He had nothing to prove. He was just saying one lie after another that he kept getting caught in. So I was awarded 14,500 euros. He appealed the adjudication, and then we went to the tribunal hearing. And after the adjudication, he was given another week to submit any evidence that he had to yeah. substantiate his claims, which he couldn't. Yeah. Then went to tribunal. Then the tribunal board awarded me another four thousand euros, so eighteen thousand five hundred, because of the egregiousness of everything. It and must, yeah, it must have, so that, it must have been very frustrating, though, to hear somebody saying that you caused significant damage to the property and that the dogs had soiled the carpets and all this kind of stuff. None of that was true, was it? None of that was true, and I had proof to the contrary. And he was in the house all the time. He, he has a lot next door, so he was always in the house, walking inside the house, outside the house. We chit-chatted all the time, so he knew the condition of the house that was in. So mm. all this was just fabricated. And during the tribunal, he could not substantiate anything mm. that he said. Mm. You know, and I have proof of every single thing that I said about, I had pictures how intact the house was. I mean, I paid to have the house painted because it was unfinished. You know, it was just primed. I paid to have it landscaped. I did not even move a nail that was there or put a nail in that house. You were an ideal I, tenant, clearly, uh, even though he was, he, he, he had a claim listing damage to the amount of 19,000 euro, but was unable to prove that, was he? Well, correct. And he did that for tick for tag because I assume he thought, well, I'm going to do this. They'll say, well, you owe her this. He owes you that. We'll call it even, you know. So I'm sure that was the reasoning behind that. Yeah, yeah, This yeah. is what he does. He did this to the, land, the tenant before me. She was pregnant and he evicted her seven months pregnant. Okay, well, I can't go into that aspect yeah. of anything because I don't have any evidence to stack up that one. But I do I know understand. that you were told that all of, where did your, well, you tell me rather than me telling you, where did all your property go, all of your possessions? He still has them. I don't have access to them. He has everything in that house. He won't let me, he, he still, even after the tribunal decision has been made, I have sent him certified letters, registered letters, texts, trying to get my belongings, trying to schedule on uh, time to go and get all of my furniture, all of my personal doc documents. You know, he destroyed my husband's death certificate. He, it was torn in the garage and he still will not allow me to go into the house to retrieve 
everything in that held its mind. Including, including your husband's ashes, I believe. He, my daughter was able to retrieve that. The guardie went in with her and she was able to get the ashes out. Thank right. God. Okay. Otherwise, it would have been scattered, you know, and he ruined all of my belongings. All of my sweaters had holes in it and everything. As, and in, well, as in intentionally damaged then? I don't see how else it okay. could have been. I mean, okay. So what else, what, else, what else is in there? I mean, uh, I'm just reading here, valuable clothing, iPads, jewellery. Um, the whole, oh, oh, it's a five-bedroom house. And everything in that house is mine. All the sofas, all the armoires, all the wardrobes, all the dishes, all the pots, all the pans, all the forks. It was unfurnished when I moved in there. So everything in that house to the last fork is mine. All of my clothing is still in there. I had to buy new clothing when we came back. Because when we go to America, we just go with our, per- our handbag course, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we had to buy new, new clothing, new pajamas, new underwear. You name it because everything is still in that house. And, and he won't give us access to it. And the guardie, I contacted the chief superintendent. I went in hysterical multiple times asking for help, you know, in trying to get my belongings. And they just keep saying it's a uh, civil matter. Really? I would have thought that it's a little more than a civil matter now. I filed charges. I called the superintendent. I went into the abandoned office repeatedly. I finally got a reply. He sent a guardie to take a statement from me that was back in... January, this happened in October. This was in January that I made a formal statement. Still nothing has been done. Apart from Garda spokesman telling the Irish Independent that the Garda received a report of an alleged incident exactly. of criminal damage, etc. Investigations are ongoing at this time. How long is it since you've been able to get in? or How long is it since you've seen sight of your possessions? I was only able to see sights of what was in the garage. He had gotten all of our clothing from all of our bedrooms and thrown them all in the garage. And when I went in there on December 28th, because I went hysterical into the Garda station begging for help, and they finally went with me, that was the only time um, that I saw my possessions. He wouldn't let me in the house. He just opened the garage and said, there you are, darling, with a big grin on his face, as we saw all of our belongings thrown like trash in the garage. Were you, able husband, to, were you able to move them? I was able to get some of the of the of the clothing. You know, it was winter, so we were trying to get all our winter stuff. Everything was piled there, even clothing that were in bags Bizarre. and suitcases for charity. He got them out of the the suitcases and threw them in there. So we had to be on all fours going through the pile that was about four meters high, trying to get winter stuff for us Good to take home. Good God! Good. Where are you living now? In Kerry. Okay. And the landlord was ordered to pay you 18 and a half grand, including damages. Yes. The bill for the dog kennels, because the dog had to go to, the dogs had to go to kennels cost three and a half grand, and the return of a deposit of a thousand, um, which he denied you ever paid him the deposit. Uh, but, but you did. You gave him a grand in cash, didn't you? I gave him in cash. And, you know, as I said, I paid rent. He had me pay rent through bank transfer to an account in the UK every single month, you know, because for whatever reason. And I paid and I have proof that I had paid it. So, you know, the reason I was awarded this, it's not because it's hearsay. I had evidence to substantiate Oh, totally. You I wouldn't said. have won your case at the RTB unless you could prove it. And is there any sign of that money, the 18 and a half grand? I'm not holding my breath. I'm, you know, my concern right now is just getting my belongings. You know, I was, my husband, you know, he passed away and I had all of his stuff on his night table just like he left it because it brought me comfort. Oh. His wedding ring, everything, his clothing. And to go into that garage, open that garage and see everything there, his clothing torn in there, you know, I don't know where his wedding ring is. His watch that he had was thrown on the floor, 
cards that he had given me that I had saved, he had torn in half and were just Gabriella, torn out the floor. stop. You, were, like you, were, you, were, 30, you were 30 years married, weren't you? It was your 30th wedding anniversary when he passed away, I believe. It was our 30th wedding anniversary. You know, he passed away on our 30th wedding anniversary in Albania from a gun and heart attack. And, oh, it's you know, awfully. and we have been together since we were 20. So it's, it was completely devastating and it was like losing him all over again, you know, to see all of his stuff just torn there, his wedding ring missing, his watch there, all the cards that he had given me, you know, throughout the years torn. It, you know, that's just, uh, there's just no, there's no monetary compensation that can make that better. No, ever. no. And, and the car was burnt out, but the minivan, is that still missing? It's still missing. And I gave the guardie the registration number and everything and... They said there's nothing they can do. What they told me regarding the car was that even though I know in my heart of hearts that he did it, unless he admits to doing it or someone says that he did it, there's nothing they can do because everything else is circumstantial. And what's happening next? I I assume you've had a solicitor on board for a lot of this journey, have you? From the very beginning, you know, this happened on October the 5th. On October the 6th, I contacted a solicitor. I contacted the RTB and he has been sending him letters and he just refuses uh, to... Um, return the belongings and now he just will not reply to anything. So you can't go to the shed with the pickup and take everything? Well, it's in the garage. It's in the garage of the car so it's locked from the inside. So I, you know, so I just can't go up there because I don't have access to it. And if you did, would that be breaking an entry then, would it? I would assume so. So what are you Um, you going to do next? He now has signs all over the property saying no trespassing, no trespassing. Um, I send him an email, I send him text, WhatsApp, and register mail, you know, and to his solicitor that he had, who no longer represents him as well, um, letting him know that I was, when my intention was of going this coming weekend to retrieve all of my belongings uh, per the RTB determination. And do you think that um, by going public, this will speed up the matter? I hope so. Yeah. I truly hope so. You know, the RTB has really, and I know this is going to sound sarcastic, and, it, and I don't mean it to be, but they have really strong... Uh, laws protecting the tenants, you know, for evictions, but they are only as good as the landlord is. If the landlord abides by them, they are great. But when you You have have a landlord that goes rogue and does things illegally, there's nothing that anybody can do. Everyone will say, oh, what he's doing is legal. He cannot do that. But there's nobody there to do anything and intervene and help. Okay. Um, Go through the process. So now I have to go to court and have the the decision enforced by the district court in order for be able to have some okay. sort of okay. resolution okay here's that's and the next what, nine months later yeah that's the next chapter then we'll we'll watch for that next chapter on a very very stressful awful treatment over the past few years for you and your family um do stay in touch though for the next update in this regard will you I will. And I just want to say one thing. Uh, you know, most people think that when situations like this arise, even the Guardi, you know, they think that it's always the tenant's fault. You know, that there's a reason why yeah. that they're doing this. And there is not. You know, in this case, it was black and white. He did this for greed because he can rent that house for three times the amount that he mm. was renting it okay. to me. There's okay. no other reason behind that, you know. Okay. Okay. And, and I think that the Guardi, when they went there, they were pandering to him. Oh, I'm so sorry for inconvenience you. I'm so sorry for this. You know, and I think they need to realize that it's not always the case. Yeah, yeah. It's not always the case that the tenant's done something wrong. And clearly Correct. you proved in the RTB that you did not. Gabriella, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed on your story. Stay in touch, will you please? 
Thank you, and thank you for bringing light to the situation because I'm it. sure there's more people in the same predicament. Well, if there are, I hope they contact me and share their stories too. But Gabriella Lake, thank you for now. We'll chat again. Thank you. Have a good day. You too, in spite of everything else. Text 0868104106, lads. We're over time. Back after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And if that wasn't enough for you, right across this week, we have some lovely giveaways courtesy of ourselves in Kilkenny Design. Uh, shop in store or online at kilkennyshop.com. So we've got a daily prize, a 200 euro gift card for Kilkenny Design. And I'll tell you all about how you can win it today, uh, a little later on this morning. Make a nice, uh, nice gift. And it being Monday and the start of the week, Offbeat Donuts are on board again. So, Depending on the size of your company, if you're a really big company that wins, that could be upwards of 60 donuts, like five boxes of selections of like random selection of donuts, the cookies and creams, the caramel crumbles, the peanut buttercup, the chocolate orange, the classic glazed and many more. So depending on the size of the company, lots of donuts to get some serious uh, sugar intake (laughs) to start the week. So you need to text or WhatsApp who you are and where you are and, most importantly, why you and your colleagues deserve this Monday treat. The Monday Munchies, courtesy of Offbeat Donuts. So text or WhatsApp 0818-104-106. My apologies, it's text or WhatsApp 0868-104-106. So get uh, stuck into that one, 0868-104-106. Uh, 106, and we'll start those shout-outs in about half an hour's time. Where are you, who are you, and most importantly, why you deserve this Monday morning treat. Something that I didn't do uh, on Thursday, nor Friday, and my apologies for it, but better late than never. Got a lovely email in uh, from Pam. She says, could you please give a mention to Cork drumming legend, legend Shawnee Kinsella, uh, who's 84 years young for Thursday the 20th of April. Shawnee has played with Cork's Pat Lynch and Art Supple over the years and that comes in from his lifelong friends Barry Teeling and Liam Hurley who want to wish him all the best for a special day. 84 years young. My apologies for a little late on that one but happy birthday nonetheless. Slightly belated to Shawnee Kinsella uh, the Cork drumming legend. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. Uh, already this morning include our cashless society that was talking about uh, one thing is the cashless toilet out in Ballancolic Regional Park that can't be a good idea and the other one of course is the fact that if you go to the bus station now you will meet absolutely no one there at the kiosks there's no ticket agents it's the city's bus station and you can't pay with cash don't old people get free bus travel Neil if so they don't really need to buy tickets do they Uh, not 100% sure on that you're not I mean you're just flash the card and on the bus you go I'm totally against using debit cards to be honest for me cash will always be king that may be the case but you're going to find it rejected in more and more places as time goes on Uh, morning Ken O'Flynn is so right the bus office is like a morgue there is no one there to get any information on anything I pity the tourists that come here seeking information is there no information or kiosk where you can go up and ask a question about a bus or a connection or anything like that. Is, is, is that all gone? I mean, it's got to be staff there, surely. Uh, on drug testing, hi, Defence Forces are randomly drug tested at least twice a year. Just a heads up. That uh, text came in because there is um, a, a train of thought now that um, Gardaí should be randomly uh, drug tested. Interesting, Paul says to me, you're talking about guarding being randomly drug tested at the same time about giving them tasers. That's all we need. Guardy going around stoned off their heads with tasers, says Paul and Toker. I'm assuming 
uh, you're saying that in jest. With regards to the conversation you had on Friday morning with the woman living in the Commons Hotel, I take it that she wasn't Irish by her accent talking to you and that she got offered a flat. How long is she in the country? Uh, I don't recall how long she's in the country, but uh, I know she came here first originally from Romania to do contract work. That didn't work out. Um, and then many people wondering how in the name of God could a driver reverse back across on a crossing on Patrick Street? Were they on their phone or distracted in some way, shape or form? I don't know, but a child could have been killed in the bogey. That I do know. And then from earlier this morning, uh, the late Rian and the beautiful conversation I had with his mum and indeed Berkey and played the song. You should also be pointing out these days that kids think it's cool to have mental health problems. Um, okay, I, I kind of understand what you're trying to say there, but don't please take from the impact it has on young children who really do have issues. Uh, I was there last year. I came through it. It's so right. You need to look out for your friends. For me, it was my husband. I've come through it, but listening to Aidan's song this morning, it has a lump in my throat. I have tears in my eyes listening to what a special guy and that he's doing this for his late buddy. Fantastic, says Michelle in Cork. She was there last year, came through it, the loss of her husband to suicide. Please don't give up my details, but COVID lockdown has had a massive negative impact on my child. He's now 15, struggles massively with anxiety, so much so that he hasn't been able to go to school since last year. And this is a child that loved school. He's on the waiting list for CAMS for over 15 months now. Isn't that just beyond disgraceful, isn't it? A 15-month list um, for a guy who loved going to school. Along comes lockdown and everything changes. Um, Back to some more texts. Listening to Rian's mum and his wonderful friend, how heartbreaking. People of all ages need to know that what appears like a crisis in the moment will pass. There is no situation that cannot be overcome. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary situation. The fallout is forever to those left behind and will always leave unanswered questions for them forevermore. I know because I lost a beautiful older brother to suicide at the age of 44, 26 years ago. The pain eases, Neil, but the questions will pop up now and again. Um, Love to Rian's family and to his friend Berkey. Elise says, what a song. It would send shivers down you. Um, I've goose pimples here listening to that outstanding young man speaking so beautifully about his dear friend. I haven't heard anything like that song in a very long time. Well done and huge congratulations to Aidan and Nicole. I wish you both a great life. If you love the song that much, it's available on Spotify. Download it. Um, The song is called We Ain't Mad At You by Aidan Burke featuring Nicole. And just two more for now. That song is a beautiful tribute to that young lad, Rian, RIP. So sad for all concerned. I'm in tears here in my kitchen. I lost two beautiful boys in an accident 18 years ago. And let me tell you, it still hurts. Oh, that's tragic. I know you won't read this out, but here goes. Let's not pussyfoot around here. Many of these suicides are as a direct result of lockdowns. The lockdowns and the stress and anguish they caused people were totally unnecessary. We now know that people who died of natural causes or illnesses like cancer were labelled as COVID deaths to inflate the death count and therefore inflate the fear in nervous, gullible and compliant people. The politicians who enforced these lockdowns, the guardie that stopped people from travelling outside their 5k, these people are all to blame 
for the psychological torture they imposed on Irish people. Justice will not be done until these people are chased out of Ireland and banished for at least three generations. Adults who complied with all this madness need to sit down and have a good think for themselves. God bless those people who sadly took their own lives because of a virus that had a 99.6% recovery rate. I'll say it again, Neil. 99.6% recovery rate. I know you won't read this out, says Sean in Douglas. Well, I did. There you have it. Back to calls after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, it's reading at the weekend in the Sunday world, actually, of yet another botched job in Turkey, unfortunately. It's the story of an Irish mum who was left with a shark-like bite uh, across her stomach after the Turkish mummy makeover. She's a 50-year-old who went off to Turkey, off, off to Izmir, actually, at the start of February had a breast procedure as well, and it just went completely wrong. I mean, she's got a severe infection now. She's in the care of the uh, Irish HSE, obviously. Um, but uh, some of the photographs, actually, which which I have seen, are so graphic, and they're it's 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 a hor- it looks like a horrendous injury wound right across her stomach. I mean, she's living with unbelievable pain on top of everything else. Now, this package cost her €4,950. That included the operations, the two nights in hospital, the five nights accommodation at a hotel, all the prescribed meds and the flights. Um, And funny enough, when she... Well, it's not even funny, but they did sign off on a fit-to-fly certificate. And that's one of the big problems, these fit-to-fly certificates way too soon after what really is major surgery. Uh, So she came home and all sorts of things went wrong. The area where the incision was made for the tummy tuck became seriously infected and the wound opened. She said, it looked like a shark bite right across my stomach. You're not talking about an inch or two here now. It's an extensive wound from the surgery um, and all sorts of intervention had to be done back here in Ireland and actually when she contacted the the surgeons back in Turkey um, they really kind of kicked for touch on it you know to keep taking your antibiotics and you know don't do any strenuous activity and it'll heal in time. Um, but I think alarm bells were going off because she had been like she 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 had other surgery done some years earlier and it meant that she had an awful lot of loose skin, right? So she was trying to get a clinic to undergo liposuction and a tummy tuck. Um but many of the clinics that she was on to they're so busy in Turkey now, apparently, with people, not just Irish, I mean English as well, right across the UK, um, that many of them said there's a waiting list for months. But this particular one, Ecol, they said they could practically take her straight away. Uh, so I suppose to some extent the alarm bells should have been ringing. I mentioned that actually because more and more people are travelling. And a lot of it, of course, has to do with price. You are talking about quarter of the price, maybe a fifth and sometimes even a sixth of the price here. And I caught up recently, even though I didn't get an opportunity to, to play the recording of the interview with Effie, Effie Murphy down in Yall, who went on her own weight loss journey back in, in 2018. Uh, we had a lovely chat, actually, uh, which I want to play for you now. And I started by asking her uh, what it was like carrying around weight of 22 stone and what you decided to do about it? I suppose at the time I knew I was overweight, I just needed someone to tell me. A long time ago I was applying for a visa to go to New Zealand and they refused me entry because I was overweight. So I was seeing an endocrinologist in the CUH and he sat me down and he said, look, you're, you're obese, like you need to do something about your weight. And it was at that moment I knew that I needed to change and I needed to do something for yeah, myself, you yeah. know. So it was, um, um, it was about, you were about nearly heading on for 22 stone and they said that you were a, a health hazard to their health system. That must have made you feel awfully depressed. 
It did because, you know, at the time I was at home with the three kids and my husband at the time was living over there and um, it was kind of my duty as a mother to bring my kids out to their dad and I was in a state of depression. Like I knew I needed to lose the weight. How was I going to manage to lose so much weight and try and get my visa and try and get my kids over to their dad at the time, you know? So it was very hard, yeah. But how did it get to that weight, though? Was it a very gradual thing? I was looking at some videos of you before I gave you a call, and there are some Mm -hmm. photographs of you even even as a young child. So it was very gradual from a young age, was it? It was, yeah. I I knew I had a problem from the age of 10. You know, I, I sit down and I'd have dinner with my brother and I I used to play a game with him. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I wish the fairies would give me an extra chicken nugget and he'd throw a chicken nugget on my plate. And that kind of went every single day. I wanted more and more because I always wanted the bigger portions. I suppose from the age of 14, then I realised, you know, I was, I was bigger than my friends and it was getting bigger and bigger and I was getting more depressed about how I looked and it just spiraled out of control. You're looking at your friends and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and it's just not making sense to you as to why you're not like them. Could, could, could I ask you though, because I often wonder about, about, about the actual food that people are eating. Mm-hmm. Would you have described your diet even as young as being unhealthy? I wouldn't as a child. Now, my parents were great dinners. My dad used to be a chef, so that was great. Um, So the dinners were fabulous growing up. It was kind of in my teenage years where I'd go to a deli and I'd live on potato wedges. And then that evening, I'd want to go to the chipper and I'd have my takeaway or a Chinese. And I just, yeah, Yeah. went from there. So it's no no mystery as to how it went on. If that's the kind of food we eat, that's why we have such a big problem with obesity, running into over a million in Ireland at this stage and Mm -hmm. just getting worse. It's the food that people yeah. eat it um it can be addictive in actual fact can't it it is it's definitely an, an addiction i have a food addiction you know like i've lost the weight that's all great but as i said i'm sitting down here now to, to my dinner it's overflowing with food i'm never going to eat it but i have to do it mentally like it's i still have that addiction to food so it's not that's not going to go but away why would you prepare large portions you have a tiny stomach mm-hmm. yeah it's crazy because i just I know that I want it. It's it's like, you know, when a smoker wants their fag, they, they want to have their fag at that time. And I'm here going, oh, I'd love a big plate of taco fries. <laughs> and I just, I can't. I'm looking at it there now going, what a waste. And I know I shouldn't be putting it on and I know I'm throwing it out. But at the same time, I know I need yeah, to. I think a little bird told me that the dog is getting fat in that house. Oh, the old dog, the poor Charlie. He's obese. <laughs> <laughs> so you then got, let's, let's get back to New Zealand. You got, that was five years ago, if I remember correctly. And you got That's refused. Right. But you did, you did try and lose the weight. You went on shakes and stuff like that. Lost a few stone, I remember. Wasn't that the case? Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, yeah. I lost. Um, I can't remember. Who was it? One stone or three stone? Or three. Something like that. Anyway. Three. At the time, yeah. And um, they granted me the visa, and I went to New Zealand. And when I got there, um, I was still depressed, obviously, but um, got over there. And unfortunately, the marriage failed and I ended up coming back to Ireland. And that's when I went back to my eating habits and used food as my comfort, you know. So it was a comfort. You you did mention there that you have a food addiction. Mm-hmm. You, you don't say that lightly, no, because addiction, no. addiction is a very strong word. It is. And, you know, it took me a very long time to actually say, yeah, I have a problem and that's my problem. Food, you know, um, it's my go to for my comfort. It's my go to when I'm happy, when I'm sad. So, yeah. OK, so when you came back then, you put it all back on and then some. Was was I it did. was it was was there a changing moment taking the kids to Disneyland in America? Yes. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. So um, we went over to Disney and um, I was on one of these rides. It was a log that you sit into. And I was in there with my son 
and the, the ride was finished and I got stuck in the ride and I couldn't get myself out of it. I just physically couldn't lift my body weight out of the, the ride and I was holding up the queue and the embarrassment of it all and I was like, right, that's it, like enough is enough now. You know, you're a single mom now, it's time to look after the kids. Go that must have been mortifying it. for you. Feel awfully It was the most embarrassing thing I've ever had to do in my life. I had my kids laughing at me. <laughs> I had people wanting to get on the ride and I'm stuck and I couldn't get out of it, you know. So, oh, um, yeah, that was yeah. definitely, yeah. That, that yeah. was one of the most but if, if I, I know you because we've spoken in the past on a number of occasions. You were, if I remember correctly, and still are, very much involved in, in modelling and, and pageantry and representing Ireland in, in different pageants. But at, at one stage, you were doing lots of photos for, for plus size modelling, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when, when you were doing those, you know, when you were doing those and you were, mm-hmm. you, know, you were quite large and you were wearing T-shirts like happy in my body. Was that true? Yes and no. I was happy in my body, whereas the point I was so confident in myself and I'd have no problem promoting body positivity, love yourself. And I, even to the, today, now being skinnier, I still say love yourself no matter what. Like I'm covered in scares after surgery, but I'd still promote myself as, you know, love yourself the way you are. Because if you don't do it yourself, nobody else is going to do it for you, you know. But at the same time, I was like, oh, Jesus, here we go. Now I have to do a photo shoot. Will my outfit fit me? What are people going to think about me? Why am I doing this in the first place? Yeah, I know I'm doing this to, to promote and help other people going through the same thing. But surely they're feeling the same way as me, you know. So, yeah, yeah, but how? Just, I'm just curious as to how were you feeling? Were you outwardly a very happy, bubbly person, but inside in, in turmoil, you see? Um, no, I was actually really confident at the time. Mm. And like over the years, I have suffered from depression. And I suppose at the time of that photo shoot, I wasn't on any medication. I was very happy. I was I was very happy in myself. And I think this, this past couple of six months, maybe, I'm back on medication now again. And it's like, oh, Jesus, we're spiraled back into the old mental state here, you know, um, and trying to figure out the cause of it. But it's, it's the eating habits, you know, it's, it's, it comes and goes. And I'm very that's sorry to hear that. All. I'm very sorry to hear that. If you were no, just, okay. but just on the point that if you were happy in your size, why then mm-hmm. did you go to Turkey and get uh, a gastric sleeve and have your hunger gland removed? So it was basically for the kids, Neil. I came back and I was on my own. I, I couldn't put my own socks and shoes on. I had the kids helping me. Um, I couldn't clean my house. I was depressed. I was, you know, I needed, I needed help with everything. Like even trying to wipe yourself to go to the bathroom, like stupid little things like that. It just got to the point where, you know, you have to do something you're going to end up having a carer coming into the house. No, I admire your honesty and fairness. Yeah, I really do. And I suppose physically, yeah. physically, you wouldn't be able to do it. I'd say you were constantly <laughs> out of breath. Oh, completely. Jeez, I like I wouldn't I wouldn't go anywhere. And it's the self consciousness of it all as well, like leaving the house, like am I wearing something that's gonna cover this piece of fat? Uh, is people gonna look at me? Uh, what are they thinking when they see me, you know, all that kind of thing. It's, did it's they, mentally did people look at you? Did people remark? Do you know what, now, Neil, they didn't. They didn't. Over the years I found people just seeing me for who I was. I do remember a time when I was over in Portugal and I had these little teenage boys giggling, you know, um calling me a pig in, in their language and stuff. Like you would um you you would get the old kids all right over the years. But yeah, like but that's upsetting, that, though. No. Yeah, that's yeah. upsetting. Yeah, uh, sure it is, but like, you know, but, at the time you get on with it. But listen, you you did take a gamble because we're hearing more and more of problems with regards to Turkish surgery and Turkish clinics and hospitals and a yeah. lot of it has to do with 
with uh, weeping wounds, uh, internal bleeding, sepsis, Uh which is poisoning and can kill you. Very, very bad follow-up because you come back to Ireland, so there's no Uh follow-up. So very risky. In fact, people have died from surgery like this overseas. Were you aware of the risk? I was, I was aware. Yeah, um, I done a lot of research. Like when I, when I say I was going to Turkey, I didn't just say, "Oh, geez, I go to Turkey and this is going to be a quick, quick fix for me." I, I had previously booked Mexico actually, and um, at the time I just felt like I wasn't ready to do it, and I let it go when I lost my deposit, and I said, "You know, that's it." Um, so maybe a couple of years after that, then I was like, "All right, I'm, I'm going to do it now. I'm ready for it. I'm going to go for it." And I'd done a lot of research. And believe it or not, the actual hospital at the time that I went to, I found them on Facebook. So I was like messaging the patients and getting their feedback before I done anything. Um, so that's how I, I found my way to, to get to Turkey, you know. Mm, mm. Yeah, not not the most recommended place to find something that involves body surgery, though. Facebook, no. wouldn't you think? No, I know it's crazy when you think, when I think back, like, like I remember going to the airport, I was by myself flying over there. I had three grand cash in my pocket and I was flying off to Turkey to a place that I've never been and getting into a car with someone I had no idea who I was getting into. He spoke a different language. He was driving me with this money in my pocket to a, a hospital like an hour and a half away from the airport. Like you, it's madness when I think about it, but it yeah. definitely has changed yeah. my life. Yeah. You but know? I, in that moment, was there regret at that stage when you're there on your own? You know, the situation you just described as in, what have I done? No, no, I, I, nothing. I have not one regret. One of no, the other, one of the did. other issues that they talk about is that anything can happen and you shouldn't be flying back so soon. You shouldn't be anywhere near a plane for at least a mm-hmm. month after big surgery like this. But you came home fairly rapid, didn't you? I did. I stayed in the hospital for just over a week and I got my clearance letter from the the surgeon to say that I was fit to fly and came back. I flew into Dublin. I got on the air coach and um, drove then from the air coach back down to (laughs) y'all. So when I think about it, like, it's mad. Yeah, because, okay, so because what had you done? Had you 90% of your stomach taken out? I did, yeah. um, 90% taken out, yeah. So I was left with like a little tube. Um, and, but it was keyhole surgery at the time. So, you know, it's just more stiffness really than, you know, getting the cosmetic surgeries done. And the hunger gland. The hunger gland as well. Yeah, no, that does grow back and so does your stomach. So, you know, you, you are um, likely to, to go back to the way you were if you don't keep on top of things. But after so. they do the surgery and everything, you stay for the days afterwards and they take the money, which is significantly less than you'd pay in Ireland. You'd probably pay oh three, God, four, yeah. five times if you had it done here. Isn't that right? But, yeah, like, but, but after yeah, they, I paid after, three. Yeah, you paid three for that. But after you are finished and you get back on the plane, they're finished with you then. There's no follow-up, Effie. There's no aftercare if it goes wrong. Yeah, they. I actually had a dietitian, so I was able to keep in contact with them and I was able to keep in contact with my surgeon, which was great. The only issue I'd have for anyone that's going to Turkey or anywhere abroad for surgery is the mental side of things. You do need to have that therapy session, you know. And the funny thing for me was when I came back, I joined Slimming World and for me to sit down and do the meetings at the end of the day with Slimming World, that was my coping mechanism. Like I was able to sit down and talk about how I felt about food and things like that. So they really did uh, help me hugely when I came back. Why do you need mental help in that regard? Why do you need psychological work? Uh, What's the problem? You have a smaller stomach now, smaller appetite. Excellent. Mm. 
Yeah, that's fantastic and all, but like you're going to be still wanting to have your portions. You're still going to, if you drink, you want to go out and have a drink with your friends or you want to go for a meal, all that stops. Don't leave your social life go because you will, like you might isolate yourself because you feel like you can't go out and have that meal because your friends are able to sit down and eat the dinners in front of you, but you can't do that. You know, so you're you only able to have a little smarter. smaller portion. So what do you order in a restaurant scenario, for instance? Um, well, I'd probably get a starter portion instead of a full course, you know, or I'd get, if I was getting a roast dinner, I'd have a half portion. Okay. And what about, um, do, you, do you like to have a drink, a beer, a glass of wine or something like that? Um, so I've, I've recently developed a nice taste for wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I never used to drink, believe it or not, up until the age of, God, I'd say it was since I, before I came back from New Zealand. Yeah. It was, it was yeah, about five, six years ago. So I've started to drink and I'm, it's the white wine I'd have. I'd, I've tried to stay away from um, fizziness if I can. And now when I say I love my Coke Zero, I do. I don't deprive myself. But how but, much of it can I'd, you actually drink? Oh, so I can sit down and have a Coke Zero here. Now it'll take me about two hours to have one can, but I would be burping mad after it. Um, okay. And yeah, it's kind of like... Um, I obviously I sound like a dinosaur because <laughs> the, the noises that your stomach would make after drinking the fizzy drinks. So these are um, the challenges you're talking about that you need to talk to people about, you know, that you you do. Know, that's the big yeah. change. Yeah. And yeah. there is, there's a thing as well called dumping, Neil. Um, it's dumping syndrome. So like you might have it too fast or you might have it too much and it's, it's like it's lodged in your chest and it's... Um, for for a nice way of saying it now it's like you're vomiting it up but you don't actually vomit it's more spit and once you get that up then you're fine again yeah. but it, it's very yeah and yeah. It's, it's at the start of the surgery so you're talking the first six months really you know you'd have that as well so if you went from 310 pounds or just under 22 stone and lost mm. I, one, of, one of the numbers I had some time back was that you lost 150 pounds have you lost significantly more than that now? I'm down to 11 and a half stone now. I did get down to 11 stone at the time, um, but like I'm bouncing between seven pounds, so I, I, I don't really bother as long as I'm under the 12 stone. And would, you, and would you recommend that people should do what you did? I would recommend it if you're ready for it mentally. If, if you feel like you're overweight and you're at a, at a loss where you if you're not ready for the change don't do it um, and maybe go and get a bit of therapy or a bit of counselling first and then decide you know but if you're mentally ready yeah definitely go for it well, what do you mean mentally ready what do you mean what does that mean yeah, well you're going to have to prepare yourself like you're coming home if you're cooking for a family you've got to realise that you're not going to be able to eat the same things that they have um, you have to be ready and willing to actually change everything about your lifestyle Um so, yeah, it's huge changes, huge sacrifices. Were you ever asked afterwards by the clinic then to get them other clients? Yes, okay. um, I was. Okay. Um, See, that's, that's a worry so, for me because that's a form of pyramid selling, you know? It is, it is, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, I would never send anybody somewhere where I wouldn't agree with what they do. Um, and if I thought it wasn't a good thing, I wouldn't have sent them. Okay. Um, it's simply because I was had my surgery I, I recommended them then because I've been through what they were going through you know so oh. I was able to help them Okay but what, what do you mind me asking what does that involve does the clinic pay people who have had surgery to send others out Yeah so I'd be working for them um, so I'd go over to Turkey I'd do training I'd, I'd do meetings with the surgeons meet them all meet the hospital do a tour um, I went over to Turkey and met patients that were there that I had sent over um, so I was very much involved with them you know afterwards and I went back then for various surgeries myself as well afterwards which okay, was okay. great you know? Okay so if somebody who's listening to this they, they might find that somewhat alarming though that the They would that indeed the, the, yeah. sur that the surgeons and the hospitals and the clinics are using patients to go out and 
um, again, it's a form of pyramid selling to recruit other candidates. It all depends, though, Neil. Like, they'd only um, pick people who they feel would be able to do their job properly. Like, I wasn't just there to sell. I was there to show people my journey. Um, like, I documented it on online so they can see everything that was happening, you know, before they went there. And I can give them my advice on what I went through. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but like, you were one of the lucky ones. I mean, a lot of the time it's the hospitals in Ireland that have to uh, pick up the pieces and and correct the problems, you see. That's that would be true, but unfortunately, Neil, they don't actually show all the successful surgeries. We only hear about the, the things that's gone wrong because you know yourself being a journalist, that's making news and that's what's well, attracting that is people true. to, that is true. you know. Yeah. People like so they, yourself, they don't tell you. yeah, it went perfectly well for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly, you know, so like you, you might have won bad surgery out of 50 surgeries you know so like you know you'd, you'd always hear about the bad one but unfortunately there's not enough praise for the people who you know who've done really well and things like that and you, know? and, and you said you're feeling a bit low now is is that all a consequence mm. of what was done and everything and dealing with it and constantly trying to uh, navigate through it I think so, Neil. Um, you know, I'm, I was very much a confident person when I was overweight. If I had to compare myself, I'm, I'm in the old musical society and I used to get up on stage and I'd sing my heart out and not give a feck about anyone. And, you know, it was great. And um, I went to rehearsals the other night and I completely broke down and I was like, I just, I can't, you know, I'm just mentally, I'm like, I'm worried about what people are going to think of me now. You know, they just see me when I was overweight, but what are they going to think now? Are they expecting something great because I've lost the weight? And I'm always worrying about other people. People, I suppose, really. And, but surely um, people are very complimentary, are they? They must say you look great. Oh, my God, they are. They, they really, really are. People are lovely. But then you also get the people who are lovely and then turn around to their friend and speak things about you behind your back. So you just, you know, you have to yeah. kind of... Um, yeah. People protect be, yourself, I suppose. People can be nasty, but you just need to try and ignore them, you know? Cut them out exactly. of your life. You want them out of your life. Yeah. In a better place. And I heard you went back to Disneyland again and tried the same ride. I did and I didn't get stuck and my child was over the moon with me and we went on it again. <laughs> well done. Well done. That was a revenge visit. <laughs> it was. I had to do it. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Effie, it's great to catch up yet again. Look after yourself and I hope all goes well. Thanks was, so much, Neil. All the best. Thank you. That was a prereq that I did with uh, um, Effie about a week ago. Just while, while all that's happening there, I was just doing a little bit of work here because there was a roadshow um, came to Ireland from Turkey. It says, we have great news for you. Our favourite surgeons and dentists are coming to a city to meet you and to conduct a free medical consultation so you can take the first step of your health journey in your own city. So it was a Ecol Hospital Roadshow. Now, interestingly, um, Ecol... The best of my understanding is the uh, company that the lady, Miss Phelan, went out to. The story I told you there where uh, she had uh, surgery done and it went drastically wrong for her. The Sunday World said, and quote her as saying, um, the Irish mum was left with a shark-like bite on her stomach after her Turkish mummy makeover. So the the roadshow, I mean, it's, it's past now. It was on the 16th of April in Cork at the Clayton Cork City Centre. Uh, we're coming to Cork. We'll be at the at the Clayton, and they're inviting people to go along and to meet the surgeons and see what they do. They have um, uh, all sorts of different uh, hospitals in Turkey. Apparently, the Ecol International Hospitals, which means there's more than one. So they actually come uh, to you know cities and towns and give free medical consultations and invite people to go along and meet the doctors and the dentists and the surgeons and things like that. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. And that I get back to phone lines after the break, Nicola. After these. Get it off your chest. 
Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. To the phone lines we go, Nicola, good morning. Hi, Neil, how are you? I'm good. Um, I'll come back to your own condition in a moment, if you don't mind. But uh, having heard Effie there, is this something that you, as you describe yourself as currently an obese woman, 40 years of age, is this something, that's something you consider doing? Yeah, 100%. I've looked into a couple of different hospitals now in Prague and um, in Lithuania, Kaunas, I think it's called. Prague, Lithuania. Uh, what about Turkey? No, I've never looked into Turkey now because, again, horror stories and I'm I'm just like, I want to steer clear of all that with, with everything that's going on with me personally. I yeah. wouldn't, you know. Yeah. Okay, so you have d- taken the first step, is it? You haven't booked anything, though? I haven't booked anything yet, right. no. Okay. Um, now, since I, can't, since I was talking to you last time, um, I have been put forward to the weight loss clinic in um, Dublin, in Lachlanstown, and they have given me an appointment. Okay, okay. So, so a weight loss clinic like that to lose what will be significant, how, do you have to lose a lot of weight? Um, around 15 stone, I think, yeah. That is a lot of timber, yeah. a lot of yeah. timber. Um, quite and so the weight loss clinic, would that involve surgery? So I'm not 100% sure now what they're going to say to me. Um, my appointment is actually this Friday. Now, I have been in contact with them over the last year or so, and it's actually my gynecologist in the COMH who has gotten this appointment this last for me. Um, I was told in August last year I'd be waiting eight years to see an endocrinologist. Good so God. after the endocrinologist meeting, you're probably looking at roughly four to five years before surgery. So between the meeting and surgery, I'm, I'm looking at probably 12 or 13 years. All what? In. So, and now and you, have you, have, you have endometrial cancer, which is cancer of the uterus, right? Uterus, yeah, yeah. So I got that diagnosis in October, um, and I had a second opinion. Um, I wasn't completely happy with the doctor that I had at the time. No, right. there's nothing wrong with so him. Does, it was just so. Does you know, the can does the cancer have to be <coughs> sorted first before the weight loss? Um, no. So I suppose when I initially got the phone call from my gynecologist, um, I was told, look, you have endometrial cancer. You're going to be looking at uh, having a hysterectomy within six weeks. So I was in preparation mode. Um, I got an appointment within five days to go and see this um, uh, gynecological oncologist in the COMH. Yeah. Um, and I went to see him and he was he just made the whole thing about my weight. He was like, um, there's no way I'd uh, do surgery on you. Um, right. You're too high risk. It was like, I was oh my God. blown out of the water completely. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I left there roaring crying, like thinking, oh my God, what's, what's going to happen now? I had no plan. So I was sent for a CT, MRI, um, blood tests. I was... Uh, just went through everything. It was one of the mill stuff, really. So well. your predicament, so and I don't mean to rush you, forgive me, but your predicament would no, seem no. to be that the surgery can't be done because you're too high risk carrying the weight you're carrying. Yeah. Okay, and that yeah. has to be sorted first. Yeah. So my plan, essentially, I suppose, was to go to the weight loss clinic in Dublin, uh, which my uh, my gynecologist wrote to them. He's brilliant. Um. And I got a letter to say, look, it'll be two to three years. So it came from eight down to two to three. Uh, But you've got a ticking time bomb in you. 100%, yeah. Now, I suppose I'm lucky in one sense, Neil, not that you can be happy or glad that you have cancer in any respect, realistically. But I suppose I'm lucky in the fact that I'm stage one. 
and it's probably, as a woman, the most treatable and beautiful cancer. You're staying so positive about it by, you know, what I'm hearing from there yeah, is your positivity. But that, having um, said that, though, the predicament you find yourself in is that you have to leave Ireland for surgery that you'd prefer to be able to get done or afford here so you can yeah. get the cancer sorted. Yeah. So I did read St. Vincent's in Dublin and asked them how much for uh, weight loss surgery. Kind of told them my story and it was 20000 um, what would you be likely to pay in Lithuania? Six and a half thousand, six thousand two hundred. But then you'd have your accommodation and stuff on top then as well. Okay, that's even dearer than Turkey. It is, yeah. Yeah, you could nearly but, half it for Turkey. Yeah, I suppose. But look, you kind of have the the sense of first of all, you'd Security. have the cross border directive and you'd get your money back. So you'd have that. Mm. Like I'd have to go to the credit union to get a loan because I don't work. I'm 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 too overweight. I just can't. Like I'm, I had to buy. I'm 40 years of age, and I had to buy an extension for my toilet because it's too low. You know okay, I mean? you I noticed I didn't ask you your day. weight. If you're willing to share no. it, fine. But if not, I'm okay with that too. You know. Um, I would. I I'll put it to this way: I'm over 25 stone. Over it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm I'm tall, so I can carry it a little bit better than what somebody else might. Maybe I'm six foot. Um, yeah, you heard Effie's story where she was very self-conscious of her weight and there was issues involving the kids yeah. in Disneyland and people I don't calling, like, calling her names. Well, I'll, I'll put it to this way, Neil. Like, I don't really see it with kids. I find that people are, adults are quite, like, they won't talk to you. They don't want to be seen talking to the fat person, I think. Um you feel the judgment. They look at you. They look you up and down, and they walk past you. And you know, mm. it's mm. it's. I, I just don't go out. I. I are you, and and are you sure that you're sure people are judging? Are or maybe you're just you paranoid? You know, it's like you you look around. Like for instance, now I go to a match, and you just see people side eyeing. Do you know what I mean? Um, but that's the only time I leave my house is when my child is playing football match or a soccer match or a hurling match or whatever. That's the only time I go out. Like you're trapped. So, yeah, 100%. And yeah. It, it's making my situation worse because if I go out, I'm getting the steps in or, you know, you're getting a bit of exercise in that. And I'm I'm nearly translucent at this stage. My husband and myself went, he was on holidays last week and we went doing the Ring of Bearer or whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we took a photo and I said to him, I said, I'm actually grey in the photo. He said, you never go out. Like he is there with a lovely colour and I'm actually translucent nearly, do you know? You probably don't want to look at photographs of yourself. I, I'm i always the one behind the camera. The only photos you'll see of me is at my children's communions and confirmations. And though I've, I've spoken with people in the past carrying a lot of weight, let me put it like that, and they are always on guard on social occasions as to where they, they don't want to sit down, they want to stand, they want to stay on the yeah. periphery, they don't want to be in the photographs. Is that yeah. all part of your routine? Hundred percent. I don't go out. My husband goes out. I stay at home. I'm like, I yeah, I collect you afterwards. Your grand, or if I do go out, like I had a fortieth in January. I wasn't intending on it, but everyone was like, oh, you have to know, you have to. Um, so I did, and I literally sat in the corner all night where I could get to the back door and the toilet. Yeah. And so are you conscious because of the weight then that you don't want people to see you eating? Oh, I wouldn't eat in public if you paid me. Go away. If we were, like, if we were going to the chipper now or something like that, we'd have to park up in like a place where no one could see me. I'd be mortified. Really? Oh, mortified, yeah. My husband is like, you need to get a grip, like, cop on. 
And I'm like, no, everyone is there. Look at the fat girl eating again. No wonder she's the size she is. You, this is the way. You believe they're the saying paranoia. that? You believe they're saying that? Oh, 100%. It's, it's the paranoia, like. And I believe what Effie was saying there a while ago about working on you mentally, that's all part of it as well. Like, okay. that, that paranoia and... Oh, it's yeah. awful. It's absolutely, yeah. it's debilitating. Do you, do you like, think that people who see people carrying ver- an awful lot of weight, and, and we see them, I, I, I see them, I, mm. I don't mean to judge, and, and, and if, I'm, if I'm caught looking, it's not in a judgmental way, but yeah. m- maybe, maybe it's just human nature for people who see that kind of weight, they kind of end up saying, thinking to themselves, how did the person let it get that bad? Yeah, yeah, probably. You know? It's like, kind yeah. of, it's like a default question that we automatically ask. Is like, why, why, why did it get so? I mean, was it food? Yeah, well, you see, this is. It. I suppose I have an underlying health condition as well. Like, um, now it's not a hu- It's not the only reason I I do eat. Do you know what I mean? I have an awful sweet tooth. Yeah, and that's one of my biggest problems. But I've been to dietitians over the years, Neil, and I'd be really, really honest with them, and they'd say, do you know, show me what you eat in a day, and I'd say oh, I'd have my breakfast or. For a long time, I'd never eat a breakfast, and I'd go from the time I wake up until 7 o'clock in the evening, I'd have my dinner, and then I would just hound potatoes, bars, sweets, whatever, and that's what I'm filling up on. And it's ridiculous. Nicola, you're I'm eating at the wrong time. You're eating way too late. Food, you know? you're clearly the wrong food, but at the worst yeah. possible time. 100%, yeah. And, like, my stomach is killing me now. I'm on a stomach tablet because I get acid reflux. So that's put a stop to all that, thank God. So now I just have my breakfast in the morning, have my dinner around six o'clock, and I don't eat again after that. Right. And is the weight dropping because of that change? It is. It is a small bit now. I uh, I've nearly four stone lost in a year because of this. Yeah. But I, it's I still have a huge way to go. Do you know what I mean? Like it's three years. I, three I, three years. Two more years. It'll be gone. Two more. I'm hoping so. Yeah. yeah. No, it will. Like if you keep yeah, doing what you're doing, well, they, well, they yeah. say that you lose it faster earlier, that it might slow down without getting, yeah. without wishing to discourage you. But you're you're doing you're doing great yourself by changing your diet like you have. Yeah, you know. But it's it's kind of it it's alarming for me that in the background, waiting for all of this to happen is a hysterectomy. But this is the thing, and I'm not even guaranteed a hysterectomy at the end of it. Like I know, like. I was I was very upset at the fact that they wouldn't give me the hysterectomy and then like I said I got my second opinion and he's he's just incredible this man is he's just incredible and I said to him look what do I have to lose how much weight do I need to lose so my BMI would be well over 50 and he said to me I want your BMI at 40 yeah. so I was like okay I was trying to make it out I was saying that's nine stone do you know what I mean and um, I know, I know, I know. But yeah, well, you've started on that journey by making those changes. Like you said, Effie was talking about that for Effie. For Effie, it was um, a few different incidents in her life, um, you know, where the penny ultimately dropped with her. A lot of it to do with the children and wanting to be around for the children. Um, She wasn't allowed into, I think she said, New Zealand refused her visa because of her weight, that she would be a health hazard to the country's health system. Imagine hearing that. Yeah, that's that's harsh. Isn't it? Yeah. You know? You know, it does, it kind of opens your eyes hugely to, I suppose, judge, it, it is kind of a judgment call because she can be overweight but very healthy do you know what I mean there are overweight and healthy people but you just I don't know it's it's a tough one like 
It's tough to hear that. That yeah. would put you back into a spiral then of probably more eating again. Well, it sent her to Turkey for the surgery. Um, yeah. You know, and, uh, but I always worry about the risks of those who travel. But, but you are going to go to Lithuania, are you? I'm going to go, like, I'm going to go on Friday now to Dublin and see what they okay. say and kind of, you know, just kind of put the feelers out. But, yeah, I'm I'm saving at the moment now to to try and get out to Lithuania. And I'm, I, it, well, depending on what they say on Friday now, it'll be a case of I'm going to Credit Union to figure out Six grand. will they give yeah. me yeah. the loan, yeah. yeah. Okay, stay in touch. Good luck on Friday. Come back to me and let me know the Thank next chapter. Much. All right. All right, take care Nicola mind yourself all the best cheers okay. so just this side of 11 if you don't mind I was mentioning earlier on your thoughts are welcome on that and any other topic text 0868104106 but I mentioned uh, just in the off there this morning that Kilkenny Design are on board this week they're giving me a 200 euro gift card for Kilkenny Design every day this week or you can spend it on anything you wish they've got jewellery and wellness and fashion and art and all sorts of things like that all your favourite brands silverware and Soap Company and Galway Crystal and loads of things. Check it out yourself, kilkennyshop.com online. So a 200 euro gift card every single day. I'm playing this now. I'll be playing it again just before midday. That's when I'll open the phone lines. It's all based on a short montage of different songs. Now, the songs are based on a particular item that's sold within the Kilkenny uh, design shop Um and this morning, we're featuring jewellery. So what I want from you is artists and titles in the correct order when I open the phone lines a little later on. Don't call now, just have an aged. Gold! Diamonds are forever. All right, Dim Tree in the correct order. I'll play him a couple of times between now and 10 to midday and open the phone line. So this morning's musical theme is jewellery. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And it's Monday morning, which means we've got the Monday munchies on board again this Monday, courtesy of ourselves and offbeat donuts, creating circles of obsession and moments of magic and the down at French Church Street in the city. So depending on the size of the business um, that wins on a weekly basis, up to, up to five boxes. That's like 60 donuts if there's lots of you. And they're down on French Church Street working away. So it's a big selection uh, of donuts and I will be picking a winner just before midday today. So it's up to you to text who you are and where you are. And most importantly, why you deserve to kick off the week at work with big boxes of donuts from Offbeat Donuts. Big shout out this morning for everybody at Orchid Centre CUH. We deserve the lovely sweet treat as we're very busy and we'll put a smile on our faces on a Monday morning, says Shirley. And then there's the guys and gals in the pet shop in Pet Stop in Kinsale Road Roundabout. Would love donuts today. Roger and the gang are so helpful and go above and beyond to help any way they can. The staff of Pro Photonics uh, working hard, looking forward uh, to the long weekend. So a long weekend coming up. There is next is next next weekend a long another one. Crikey, an awful lot of long weekends, haven't we? <laughs> That's not a criticism. Uh, Sean Lynch at Noel DC Skoda and all the lads in the garage working hard on a Monday. They would devour the donuts. I bet you would. I work in Dupuis, where we change people's lives and improve their lives by the work we do. My team have a connect today, where we would enjoy uh, the munchies. Um, wonder what a connect is. Uh, is it like where you all sit down and you know, huddle and? You know, chat. Um, box of donuts. We'll go down a treat for that. Free donuts. My mum, Mary O'Driscoll from Turnus Cross, who's going into hospital tomorrow to get a new hip. 
winning the donuts will make her day. Uh, she'd love them with a cup of Barry's tea. House of Herring can sale love donuts. They would share them with their lovely customers to thank them for their customs, says Sandra. And just two more. Broomhill Vintage Club in Coachford. We completed our first fundraising event of the year yesterday in aid of the Mercy Hospital Little Heroes. Uh, the club's doing sterling work. And since 2008 has raised over €250,000 for different charities. Thank you, Billy M. And a final one then for the Matter Private, the endoscopy unit in the Matter Private would love donuts today. And after they've been eaten, they'd have no problem finding them inside in you in the endoscopy unit of the Matter Private. we got calls, texts and comments on the way. Text 0868104106. Let me get straight back to the phone lines. Megan, good morning. Hi, how are you? Now, you, you didn't want to go to Turkey, but you did go to Turkey because the cost differential was off the charts, wasn't it? Yeah, it was crazy. Okay, so what was the surgery? Um, I got a gastric sleeve. A gastric um, sleeve, which yeah. was priced here at 16500 Yeah, like that was just the price, but like before all that, you have to go on waiting list and you've, it's a long road before you even can get it done. Okay. And is it 11 weeks now since surgery? Yeah, I got it done on the 6th of February. And you're already down nearly three stone, is it? Yeah. In 11, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a rapid, isn't it? Mm. And Double. how did you pick the, how did you pick the clinic? Um, well, I was looking into it for probably about a year and a half, two years, and I was looking at different places, and I actually was going to go to Lithuania. Um, and I had gotten the price and I'd sent off you to answer questionnaire forms and stuff and I sent them off. Um, and then um, my dad happened to speak to somebody he knows and they were his wife had just got it done in Turkey. So then I was like, oh, right. so I knew, part, well, I don't know her personally, but I knew of somebody who got it done there. So I went on to her and I spoke to her um, and then she said she got it done there because Someone she knows got it. Yeah, in okay. There. So it's referrals from people who've been there, yeah. as opposed to yeah. answering an ad on Facebook and booking a flight. Yeah, no. Now I did go because they do have a Facebook page, so I did go on that um, just to see what other people's experiences yeah. were. Because I prefer to talk to more than one person. Right. Um, and you know, you could ask the people that are admins on the page that have gotten the surgery done there, and you can talk to them, and you can just talk to normal people like me who just got it done and ask them all the questions that you want to ask as well. Okay. Did you travel on your own to Izmir? I didn't. Um, I was going to. It wouldn't bother me travelling on my own, but uh, my mum decided to come with me. She she wouldn't leave me travel on my own. Okay. And did you, obviously you, you had the surgery. You stayed for a period of time after it. Um, yeah, we got. I got the surgery done on the Monday and I left the hospital on the Wednesday. Went to a hotel, stayed in a hotel Wednesday night and flew home on Thursday morning. Okay, um, that would be entirely different to say somebody was talking this morning about a, a lady who got a mummy makeover that involves a very big scar across her stomach yeah. for, a, for a tummy tuck, right? That, yeah, you that ha- like burst. I know somebody who got a tummy tuck done, not in Turkey, they got it done actually in Lithuania. Um, she had to stay, I think she had to stay like 12 to 14 days or something like that after it. Yeah, well, she got a fit to fly cert way too soon, from what I can see. Yeah, and, and well, she's come back now to the surgery, horrors. You, yeah, that's that kind of surgery. I, if I ever decided to go and get that kind of surgery done in years to come, um, 
I wouldn't be comfortable with leaving okay. in a few days. Okay, like, and no. okay, just uh, one of two more questions. What about the aftercare? Mm-hmm. Say when you, now that you're home, nothing's gone wrong, has it? No, no, thank God, everything is fine. Um, I'm in a WhatsApp group, so my dietitian and there's another few uh, like counselors and stuff like that in it. That if you ever have any issues, you can text them. And we have, I have that for twelve months. Yeah, but if something does go wrong, they can't fix you by text. No, but you could, like, when you leave the, the hospital, so you get a little pack with, because you have to give yourself blood thinner injections and you have to take stomach protectors and all that kind of stuff. Right. And they give you stuff then in case your wounds get infected. So if that does happen and you're at home, you can either take a picture of it and send it on to them or else just go to your doctor. Now, I do understand some doctors, if you get surgery done away, they won't look after you. I've seen it on, um, on the page. and That's mostly people in England. Um, I haven't seen it from anyone in Ireland that has gotten it done far in and right. the doctors won't look after them. Okay. Okay. My doctors, no problem, because I used to, get, used to get your bloods done three, six, nine and twelve months after. Um, so I've gotten my first set of bloods done. Um, or sorry, one, three, six, nine and twelve months. So I've gotten my first set of bloods done and my doctors, no problem, were looking after me. Um, when my bloods came back, they actually noticed that um, enzymes in my liver were high. So my doctor actually said, he said, look, I'm not really worried about it because they're not that high. So he said, your next blood test, we will okay. see what we That's the care. That's the care and attention yeah. you're getting, fair enough. Well, now, I get so, that from Turkey as well, though, because I okay. have to send my blood test to Turkey. We'll, and when the surgeon saw that, he wasn't happy and made me get a liver scan. Has anybody in Turkey asked you to work for them back here where they would pay you to recommend others? No, they didn't ask me to work for them, but they did say if I had, if I want to refer someone or if somebody asked me about the surgery and where did I get it done and if I was happy with the place, which I was, um, that I could refer them if I wanted to. But no, you, I didn't get asked to work for anybody. So they didn't say they would pay you for the referral? No, you, okay. well, you do if you go for further surgery you do get a discount on Okay, it. yeah, if no, forgive me. I mean, I sound as if I'm grilling it, but I, I'm just following no, up no, on... I'm just following up on some of the points that Effie yeah. was making where she is no, paid. Like, like, some places, like, you know, so I've heard the horror stories. I've heard them all. But to be fair, this, the, the, the hospital that I went with, I wouldn't have one bad thing to say about any of them. Okay, any of the now... Staff, the hospital, okay. nothing. And the weight loss has been rapid. Your... Food and your eating habits have completely changed now. You're eating yeah. small amounts. Yeah, small and often. That's what you have to do. Speaking with people in the past who've gone through it, one of the barriers they've come up with is they're not mentally prepared for that. Are you? Yeah, I was. Yeah, as I said, it was about a year and a half to two years I was thinking about it. No, as in now, because you're looking oh, at now. food and your, and your portion sizes are completely different and that... It will wreck your head, some people say. It does, yeah. Some days are harder than others. But then again, the benefits outweigh it. For me, for me personally, anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, I do have hard days that, you know, you come in from work and you're like, I'm too tired to cook, I'd love a big Chinese, or I'd love a big pizza and blah, blah, blah. And then you order something and you take two or three bites and you're like, no, nah, I can't stomach anymore. But like, that's not every time, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're dealing with it. You're dealing with it. Okay, um, and obviously the, 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 the weight loss is quite rapid. It means a complete um, fashion and clothing makeover, doesn't it? And people are probably noticing, are they? Yeah, yeah, my wardrobe was empty there a few weeks ago and I had 13 bags, 
gift to charity. <laughs> so I had to get, uh, I had to go shopping and get a few new bits to, to fit me. Yeah. So yeah. it's great, and people are saying it like, I was like, nah, obviously not everybody knew that I got it done. They probably do now. Yeah. But um, <laughs> when I say, but I have no problem with telling people I have it, I've gotten it done because it was a decision I made for me, for nobody right. else, it yeah. was for me. So yeah. I have no issue with it. But, you, are um, you in better yeah, form now? I feel like I am because I feel better about myself. Good. Good. You know, okay. I bought jeans there the other day and didn't worry about whether they'd fit me or not when I went home because I knew they would. Yeah. Whereas before it was buying clothes and then like going home and they're not fitting you and you're sitting on the side of the bed crying because you've nothing to wear to grow that night because you're with friends yeah. or you feel like crap. And yeah. yeah. So no, I, that, that's a real life experience you're sharing there. And good luck yeah. to you. I'm glad it all worked out for you. Well done. Me well too. done. <laughs> all right. You're very good. Thanks for coming on, Megan. Mind yourself. No problem. Thanks. Take care. Take care. It's always great to get people's stories and you know, clarifications for different questions that people might be asking. I, talking about clarification, and I just mentioned something just ahead of an ad break and come back to other calls then in a minute. But Blarney Post Office have uh, heard uh, in recent weeks another rumour uh, that they're closing. Um, and uh, it's come to our attention that numerous residents of Blarney are under the impression that this is fact and that there was a, a radio show recently where that topic was discussed. Now, Blarney Post Office actually got on to us the back end of last week, thinking that it was us that had started this rumour that Blarney Post Office uh, was closing. Our impression is that uh, uh, the show was in relation to well, my conversation about one of the GP surgeries in Blarney and patients having to move to Blackpool. You recall that story if you regularly listen to this program. And I think that's how things got mixed up and got confusing. Uh, so happy to clarify that it wasn't the post office that I certainly was talking about. It was the fact that GP surgery uh, was moving to Blarney. And that's from Blarney to Blackpool. That's going to cause a real headache for people, particularly elderly people having to move like that. But the team at Blarney Post Office wanted to let people know that they are going nowhere as a vital service, they're offering cash for businesses as well as cash and check lodgement services. Uh, banks have restricted or gone cashless. So the post office offers a much wider range now than a bank ever could, um, and including uh, banking Saturdays. Uh, you can pay bills and charges and TV and dog licenses and foreign currency and top up the mobile and sign up for your car or house insurance, whatever the case may be. So post offices are much needed. That's why we don't want to be hearing of post offices closing. But anyway, I'm happy to clear that one up and uh, let you know that um, that rumour that seems to be doing the rounds there at the Blarney Post Office, that's false. Fake news. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And also, just another story that's uh, making the news this morning. Um, And I'm reading from the 9 o'clock news copy this morning. A new action group in Cork City will hold a protest this afternoon outside a letting agency in Cork. The Cork Housing Action Group claim these agencies are profiting from the evictions crisis and implementing notices to quit on behalf of landlords. Uh, that the agencies are, um, you know, firing off notices to quit on behalf of landlords. And the group founded by uh, McBarry TD is also receiving reports of unfair withholding of deposits by letting agencies in the city. And the final piece of the article from the news says the evictions protest will take place outside Powell Properties on Grand Parade in Cork City. When I heard that, I said to the lads, why, why have they picked Powell Properties on Grand Parade? It's like as if they're finger-pointing at Powell Properties. Now, that protest is going ahead this afternoon. So, we called 
Powell Properties this morning wondering, you know, why would people be picketing outside their business? We rang them and they told us that they had absolutely no dealings with Mick Barry TD and they had no idea that he was going to be holding a demonstration outside their building. They said they are totally perplexed by why he would do that outside their building. Uh, there are local letting agents with only about 10 staff and while letting agents are involved in notice to quit notices, it's only on the specific request of the landlord. All, I guess they're saying all agencies, if you're managing a property, have to do that. As it happens, they said Powell Properties handles very few as it is and says it makes no sense why their business would be targeted. Uh, they say they're disappointed that they're now under the spotlight as a local business who always try to do their best. So that was the response. So they're as perplexed as, say, the rest of us as to why Powell Properties was picked for this afternoon. McBarry said on why they chose Powell Properties, all the letting agencies are processing notices to quit. So we picked one in a high-profile location. Um, so I guess it was map-related. Where will we go? We'll go to a high location uh, high-profile location, will go to the Grand Parade. And so they settled on Powell Properties. Um, so that's the latest on that one. Um, I've been endeavouring to talk to um, Mick Barry on that topic, and if it happens this side of midday, uh, then so be it. But uh, talking about housing-related, that story from West Cork is absolutely shocking, what happened uh, to the lady and her family with regards to the landlord down there, or going all the way to... The, the RTB and still not being able to get all of her properties or, or possessions back and indeed having her car burnt out and the other one disappeared off the planet. She's owed 18 and a half grand by the landlord who hasn't a notion of paying her that by all accounts. Um, but she's not forgiving up. So that was earlier on this morning. So we talk a lot about housing. And then there's a story making the echo today of 135 affordable homes in Cork with nobody in them. They're finished and have been finished and ready to go since August. You couldn't make this thing up. You just couldn't. Tommy Gould, TD, joins me uh, from uh, Cork North Central. Morning to you. Good morning, Neil. I saw you getting off the train there the other day. Boy, you were a busy man, phone to the head, conducting business. There's never a quiet moment, huh? No, unfortunately, just uh, the lifting of the ban and evictions means I've never, ever, in all my years in politics, been as busy uh, dealing with people who are just uh, people are distraught. I'm in the clinic now on Shannon Street, and, and the amount of people that came into me who are facing eviction. I, I have a lady there I raised in the door a few weeks ago. She's been evicted on Thursday, 24 hours a day on oxygen, an elderly lady, and she's just terrified of where she's going to Where will she them. go? Well, I, I can say there's family and friends are talking about trying to rent her a hotel room. Uh, it's homeless accommodation is where she goes, but the problem is. She's just, um, she's a really vulnerable person. She is. She's pulling yeah. around an oxygen tank with her. But even like, both, both at, at her age, to be looking at eviction, right, her health, she, like, I'm seriously worried for, for this lady. Um, I, I contacted the council again this morning because, like, just, the council are telling me they're looking at her and they're trying to find somewhere, but, like, people are being evicted today. People are now being evicted. So, do you have any thoughts at all on the fact that Mick Barry now is protesting outside uh, agencies, um, letting agencies? He's going to Powell Properties this afternoon. Is that a good idea? Well, listen, Mick does his thing. You know, um, I, I'm in the housing committee in the dial tomorrow, and what I'm looking to do is to get people housed. Like, 
We have 135 houses that are ready right now. No, but he's saying, he's saying that you need to go to the source of who's actually giving out the notice to quits and they're the agencies working on behalf of landlords. That's what, he, that's well, what he's saying. Well, to me, the source is the government lifting the ballot evictions. Okay. The source here, and sometimes p- people can get, uh, people can go in different directions. The, the only focus should be on here now, Michael Martin, Michael McGrath, Simon Coveney, Padraig O'Sullivan, Colin Buck. They are the local TDs in Cork. They have to explain to the people of Cork while well, they're evicting Cork people from the homes. And I think that's where I'm focused. When you say Cork way. people, big big pushback from my programme on Friday morning. I was talking to a mother of a child. She's from Romania and she's pregnant now again with twins. And people are incensed and they're saying it is time to stop this, that we can't house our own. Neil, we can that's that's the whole problem here today though is we can like we have people we have houses right across the city that are empty today there are 8,000 vacant properties the government are going to make a big announcement and the reason for that is we've been attacking the government consistently there are 8,000 vacant homes I'm in Shannon Street now there are houses and properties all around Shannon Street black tool right around where we could host families in the next few weeks and months. But the government would sooner look after big landlords, the speculators, the cuckoo funds. So for, for people who are saying we can't host our own, we, we can host people. But the decision is, do the government put people and families first, or do they put the, the landholders first? Okay, so we and have two, there are two aspects this morning, right? One, of course, was the 135 that are vacant, the affordable homes. Um, and, and, and ready to go. And the other one then, I think you did this with Paul Byrne on Virgin Media News, is vacant and unfinished houses on Kilmore Road. Yes. Well, I, I suppose the first one there now is that the Council have a number of affordable housing projects, right? And Neil, I, I've been critical of the Council over the years for different issues, right? But I give credit where credit is due. Cork City Council were the first local authority to bring out an affordable housing scheme and to actually build them. They started it in 2019. The ho- a lot of the houses, 135 of them already since last October. But the problem is, there's a problem of conveyancing. The minister brought out the scheme and no one has moved in yet. But that's only 30 so houses a year, man. Oh, yeah, but the, the point here is, we oh, have families who have mortgages got from banks and those mortgages are going to run out because you know you have only a window of six months what reason? Yeah, they do. They have a time date on them, um, yeah. and, the, and the clock ticks. But and what reason have they got that they have 135 probably A-rated homes sitting there empty? Yeah. And they're saying the council are telling me it's a problem about conveyancing, but I cannot get more answers out of them. I've actually written to the minister. I put in PQs, and just for any of your listeners, if they're interested, tomorrow between three and six p.m. I'll be quizzing the Minister in the Doyle Housing Committee on why this is happening and many other issues around housing. But isn't it, the, isn't it the city manager you should be quizzing? Well, they, they've built the houses. They've interviewed people. They've made up lists. The houses that people have got mortgages. But no, you know, I'm personally dealing with three families now who are actually homeless. Okay. I have a lady, a lady who's 26 weeks pregnant. She have her mortgage. She's ready to go and she can't move in. I have another family uh, who's living in a box room. They're living in a box room of one of the parents' houses, and they've been there for months, and they could be there for months more. And I have another family who had to split up. They're splitting up because they, uh, they have nowhere to stay. 
And what we have now, these are people who've got mortgages, right? These are people who've worked hard, have done everything right, and here they are now. So there's a chance then that when they go back for the mortgage, when time runs out, that they could be refused, is it? You see, yes, Neil, because some of these people have bought stuff for the house. You know, they might have bought uh, kitchen units, washing machines, dryers. They might have eaten into their savings. And then when they go back to the bank, the bank's going to say, well, you've spent some of your savings. It's just really big stuff for those families. And the Kilmore Road story, where they're not even finished, are they different to affordable? What are they? These are social housing as part of Lockheed's regeneration. And the thing about these houses, these were started four years ago. No, I, I don't want to get into it because... No, but it's very... Well, listen, you need to get in because it's very frustrating no. for people to hear this. Can I say, Neil, I'm up in St. Francis Field, I'm up in Lachnaheen every day. People are local people who are families are waiting list are saying, why can't your houses be finished? There's people driving up and down to Apple and other businesses in the area. They're saying, I'd love to take one of them. How can I get one of those houses? Like, get on the waiting list is a good start, isn't it? Well, a lot of these people are 9, 10, 11 years on the list. These, these are people now who've been waiting a decade. The, the really issue, real issue here, Neil, is by the time a lot of people their homes, their children are teenagers. So these children are living in box bedrooms or overcramped accommodation, substandard accommodation for the whole childhood. It's, it's morally wrong. And anybody coming to your clinics, are they saying anything about the modular homes that are at this moment in time being plonked onto their foundations in Mahan, 64 of them? as to why no, they can't even get one of them. No one who's looking for a house. Now, one or two people who send it to me who, who aren't looking for houses, right? But the people who come to my clinic, they want a home. They, they want a home they can call for life. The man's no home, the, the planning permission for them only lasts three years. Why are people not coming to me who want a home for life? Neil? But even if they home. wanted a modular of course they want a home for life, but they won't get a modular home because they're not Ukrainian. But that kind of permission for them is only three years. No, but my point is, like, I, I can read out reams more texts from Friday's programme, people who are incensed with anger, that unfortunately were bursting at the seams and it doesn't seem to be stopping. With it. There was the story of a, a woman, I don't mean to hone in on her case in particular, but she was on air from Romania with a son, no sign of the father of the child. Now she's pregnant with twins, no sign of the father of the child, and, and is looking for somewhere to live. People are just angry. Neil, can I say this now? I was in that house. That lady lived around the corner from my office in Shannon Street. It was unbelievable. There was raw excrement coming down the walls. I know. Yeah. It, it was, like, to be honest, and Neil, what I say to people when they say that, there's, there's two things I say, right? One is, people who come to my office want a home for life. Now, one person who's come in here in the office three, over three years on his TD say they want to module a home for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. They want a place they can call home. Like, I came from social housing in Lachlanini, so did my wife. Like, my dad still lives in Lachlanini, my mother-in-law still lives there. They're there for life. That's what people want. They want to build a home, they want to be a part of a community. And the other point I would say to Neil, and I've spoken to a lot of people, because there's a lot of people who are genuine concerns out there, right? And I tell them, I spoke to you, Neil, about two years ago during COVID, when I told you the story how I went first to with my children, and a woman from Granavar said to me, yeah, we'd be only two people out here from Grand, or from Cop. Yeah. And yeah. there was a lot of, and they were from all over. And I said, great, 
because I have family in Australia. No, it is it is great, but if there's a serious lean on housing stock, um, and a lot of it is a lean on public authority housing stock, people are saying but enough no, is no, enough. But can I tell you, no, Cox City Council is not housing any Ukrainians in social housing stock. And I've asked people, if they see that happening, to let me know. They give me loads of examples. I want to check it out. They're not Cox. Well, and not, not talking about, I'm talking about, to an extent, it's more likely to be welfare tourism. I'm not talking about Ukrainian war refugees. I'm talking about people who would, who would come here knowing that welfare is better. Like a lot of the people talking on Friday were saying, why would you have children? Why would you be pregnant again with nowhere to live? Yeah, Neil, I would just, in relation to that lady, I would just respect, um, I suppose, she's a very vulnerable person, okay. right? Okay. Can, can I say right. this, Neil? Okay, right? no, you're, you're right. I have, you're right. Yeah. I have family and friends all over the world. And people say to me uh, about people coming to this country illegally. I have dozens of friends who went to America on a three-month holiday visa and are still over there 30 years later. Yeah, but nobody's given them a house or social welfare or given them a, you know, um, they, 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 can't, they can't use health system in America Steve, if they're there. No, Stephen Stark, that's not true. I, I know of people who went to England and I, 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 I'm discussing this now with people on the road every week because I want to really enjoy Lost you there, Tommy. People, sorry, Neil, yeah. people are telling me how they knew guys from, from Ireland and Cork went off to England and were signing on in two and three uh, door offices in England, right? Because the, ex- the social welfare was better in England today. I, I spoke to my own dad who was in England three times in the 60s. All his brothers, about uh, one went to England to work. All my brother's brothers, the majority of them went to England to work. Like, I have a lot of cousins who live in England now because the fathers are so allowed to dead. But they, they went over there. But like, for people to say that Irish people, like Neil, the English and the British, when they, when they were in charge of our country, right, when they took over our country, they drove Irish people to the four corners of the world. And the Russians now are doing the same to Ukrainians. And like, for people, I would ask anyone listening to So to the people that are listening that have a different opinion to yours, what are you saying to them? Put up, we did it. I'm saying, ask your parents, ask your uncles and aunts, ask your grandparents how bad things were in Ireland in the 40s, 50s and 60s and about how they had to emigrate. And also, Neil, I, I was to emigrate myself in the, in the, in the, in the 80s and w- w- one of my good friends and teammates did and he's in, he's in Boston now and he's over there 33 years. Mm. 33 mm. years. So I say to people, What's happening to people coming into Ireland now are only doing what the Irish have done for generations. And the last point I would make is there's going to be tens of thousands of young people leave the country now because of the housing crisis and because they can't get a home. They've got Australia, Canada, America, everywhere. So right now, Irish people are travelling the world. Yeah, I think, think, no, that's, that's an emotive response, in fairness to you. But I think you're caught in the headlights of oncoming traffic, just like all other politicians, that you, you actually don't know how to fix it because you can't be critical of anything that exists. If somebody says, why would you be coming here in the first place? Why won't you go home? It's got to be better there. Why are you here? Why would you have children? Where is the father? You don't actually have any answers to people's personal responsibility to themselves. No, can I say, I don't think it's, it's, it's right to talk about people's personal cases okay. and the year. Okay. And, and the, the one other point I would make, 
So people are listening to the show today and they're saying, why are they coming here, right? There are over 100,000 Irish people in America right now at the moment who are illegal. Who are, and we are fighting, uh, to, and not just Sinn Féin, other government parties are fighting and opposition parties to see, will Joe Biden and the government in America give these people citizenship? Well, surely somebody so, asked him that when he was here. Maybe he just gave it. Did it? I give credit. Jerry Butler said it in the dial. Right? And I'm, I'm not a big fan of Fianna Gael, but I give credit what credit was Jerry raised it in the, in the chamber, right? So what we are seeing now, Neil, right, is Irish people are saying, was those 100,000 people or 130,000 people be thrown out of America and sent back home to Ireland? Right? Is that what we're seeing? And all the people in Australia and Canada and Germany, okay. Like, okay. your people arguing about, uh, I know there's a lot of frustration out here. But the blame is only to be put one place. This is government policy. Neil, I've been talking to you for years. The reason we have a housing crisis, a health crisis, because Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael made it that way. Okay, okay, okay. Um, So when will the 135 affordable homes be offered to people who have mortgages at the ready? Well, Neil, I'm going to ask the minister tomorrow. I've written for Hot City Council and I'm looking for a meeting. But uh, to be honest, you had a minister on out last week in the tarnish in the T-shirt talking about affordable homes and there's no one living in them. It's, right. a, it's, it's a scandal, Neil. It's, it's a, a head wreck. It's a head wreck. Tommy Gould, thank you as always. Sinn Féin TD, Tommy Gould. I just want to have a quick chat with Mabs, if you don't mind, because they will tell you about the pressure they're under since the lifting of the eviction ban itself. Uh, and with that in mind, we have uh, disappeared from the screen. Ursula Collins, Regional Manager, Mabs Health Monster. Ursula, good morning and thank you for your patience. How bad is it? Um, good morning, Neil. Uh, I suppose it's just an emerging issue at the moment with the lifting of the moratorium on evictions. However, it is compounding the broader issues that we have been dealing with for the last number of years. How can you help in the event of a notice to quit being given to somebody? Yeah, I suppose what we're encouraging people to do is to contact us. We can provide our broad service, which is budgeting and money advice and support. And then we can look to refer you to the agencies that specialise in the housing area, such as uh, Threshold, the RTB and, of course, the local authority. Mm -hmm. So it's advice more than anything else, restructuring, rebudgeting for whatever amount of limited money is coming into the home in the first place, is it? It is, it is. It's about looking at uh, the pressure that you may have been under already, um, looking at where you can get support if you are concerned or you have received an eviction notice and looking at your options going forward. So you can help them to find out whether or not that eviction notice is actually valid, can you? Uh, we won't get into the detail of whether or not the eviction notice is valid. We will refer you to our colleagues in Threshold, etc., yeah. who are specialists in that area and yeah. will be better able to advise on that. We would look at your um, other elements of your household income, etc., your broad situation, and look at potential options okay. to maximise your income, etc. So we're about three you, weeks in now to down. the eviction ban being lifted, aren't we? And yeah. You, you've seen the reaction on, on what, phone lines and walk-ins, have you? Yes, we certainly have. Um, however, we're also seeing a broad increase in pressure on the housing area from the people in it who are have mortgages presently. Um, so that's also a significant increase in mm. that area, mm. which could compound the housing 
situation in the country. Okay. So we okay. have a lot of people who are um, have mortgages that are now uh, managed by non-banking entities and a lot of people in the older age category who uh, have mortgages that they're in trouble with because they have not got permanent solutions for those mortgages since the last uh, uh, crisis. Okay, so how are they in crisis? Is it with like maybe a finance company that the bank has sold their mortgage? What potentially could happen to them? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a big part of it. So a lot of mortgages that were what they would call non-performing mortgages, i.e. people that may have been in difficulties already, um, would have been sold to uh, non-banks and they would have seen very significant increases in the interest rates. We've all seen increases in the interest rates uh, in the last uh, year, but particularly in the non-banking entities. Higher again. approximately 7% now. So and these would be people that would have been in difficulties prior. That's the point. They were already struggling financially and now the heat's been yeah. turned up on them. Does that ultimately lead to repossession? Potentially, yeah. Um, that's what you're looking at. And as I said, that then in the overall context of the housing situation is where we would uh, highlight concern um, that the, you know we already know there's significant pressure in that area and you know you don't want to aggravate the situation there needs to be some other sort of solutions for um, the non-banking entities and then also for people who are just starting to um, have difficulties managing their mortgages maybe they were on the tracker all along um, they could have been people that came out of the 2008 uh, recession and have made arrangements with the banks mm. to set aside a certain part of the loan for a number of years. Yeah, parked it. They're yeah. now in their late 50s, 60s, you know, income may be reducing and they're now faced with significant increases on their mortgage. Can I just ask you one final thing before you go? Because we, you know, people are getting really frightening um, electric and gas bills and fuel bills and they're going to find it even worse now because all of the credits that the government gave are gone, right? Um, yeah. is, is that a substantial increase in the people you're dealing with who literally you have to intervene on their behalf with their energy providers? Yeah, that is still a big feature of our work, the utility bills. We do have direct access to all the energy providers. So anyone in an emergency situation do come to us or your bills are mounting and you're concerned, we can intervene. What can you typically do? Sorry for cutting across your slow. What can you, no problem. Yeah, okay. What can you do? Yeah, what we can do is we can contact your energy provider. We can uh, negotiate with them. Um, both around a disconnection if that is imminent or, and we can make an arrangement that is feasible for you to manage going forward. Okay, that's that'll come as a relief to people who may not have been aware that you can restructure the payments or pay it back gradually, yeah? Yeah, yeah we can Brilliant. do that. Brilliant. And I suppose we would also um, call on the energy providers to um, consider why with the costs now coming down, the wholesale cost of energy, that is should be passed on to customers as soon as possible. Yeah, you need to turn the screws on that one really loudly because that should yeah. be happening. It's only fair. When they go up, yeah. prices go up. When they come down, prices yep, should come absolutely. down. Well said, absolutely. Ursula. Thanks as always for being on the end of the phone. I do appreciate it. Look after yourself. Thanks That's very much, Neil. All the best. Ursula Collins is the regional manager for MABS South Munster and the MABS helpline is 0818 
2000. Pick up the phone. There's somebody there who can help and can advise. Um, you know, and just I'll come back to calls in a moment for what limited time I have left. But every day this week, we have a 200 euro gift card for Kilkenny Design to give away. And every day, I'll be honing in on a different line of product that they sell. You can get full details at the kilkennyshop.com and all your favorite Irish brands are in there. Um, today, I'm honing in on jewelry. So there's a 200 euro gift card for Kilkenny Design. You need to identify artists and titles. And remember, all of these songs are connected to jewellery or bling or some such fashion like that. Here are the songs. Diamonds are forever. Okay, phone lines are open now. 0818-104-106. Caller 9 and every caller thereafter until all three songs and artists are correctly identified in the right order. Pick up the phone. A 200 euro voucher for Kilkenny Design. 0818-104-106. Good luck on that one. Still to come before I quit is our Offbeat Donuts Monday Munchies. And I'll do one more bunch of shout outs in a couple of seconds time. But I just want to talk to Dennis Hartley for what time I've left. Dennis, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Neil. How are you? Okay, you're talking about rights of people to move around Europe, is that right? No, we're talking about the European Union. Romania That's what I'm saying. is yeah. a member of the European Union, and every person in Romania has the same rights to live and work in Ireland and has the same rights to access to housing, yeah. has the same rights to access to Social Security, just as you have the same rights to go to any of the European Union's your union countries and and you can live and work there and no one can stop you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's... People and has been, and has been since not, 2007. They are, not, they are not foreigners. They are us. No, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but it doesn't go any way long enough to solve our housing problem, well, particularly our public you. authority housing problem, if we do have a lot of movement across our borders. The thing about the housing problem is very simple. And Romania is part of the European Union. They have a right to be here. Mm. You cannot distinguish between an Irish person and a Romanian or a French person and an Irish person. Mm. It is not possible to do it. And local authorities are obliged to treat them equally. Mm. That's the fact. And, now, and, you, and of course, and that would mean you'd have the no. same access to the same housing list as everybody else. Yeah, no. Let me tell you something. Until it becomes emergency, that changes. When my father was working in Ireland, when my father was working in Ireland, he lived in Donegal. And he went down to Dublin to find work. And he was told in Dublin, we don't need your coaches down here taking jobs from Dublin people. Mm. Mm. That's the same thing that's happening today. European Union citizens... No, we're desperate, no, we're desperate for workers. We're desperate for workers. That, that issue isn't relevant anymore we need we need more and more people to work okay yeah it's, it's housing fine. all i want to say it's is housing that if you're talking in terms of if you're talking in terms of people coming from russia then you can say they shouldn't have a right to be here but romanians have a right to be here mm. they are as irish as irish people they have to be treated exactly the same mm. and we are treated exactly the same i've worked all over europe mm. i worked in germany in belgium in france in the netherlands and you just go there and work. And there's no problem. So what would you say to all of the texts then from people who talk about um, people who are coming here who don't want to work, who know and can identify a very good social welfare system here? We had ministers saying, come on over, you'll have your own front door key in six months. That's, well, the, that's the, well, these are facts. Let me, like, tell, yeah. let me tell you the facts. The facts are 
that 99% of people are honest people mm. and they want to work and they want to earn a living. Mm. Everybody wants to earn a living. Nobody wants to, to be on the door. I don't want to be on the door. Mm. I want to work and I've worked all my life. And most people want to work. Yeah, most, is it most or all? It's not all people want to work, but hey, most 99% people. of people is pretty much all. Yeah. 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 That's a fact. So why don't, don't, we have zero un- why don't we have zero unemployment then? Well, we have zero unemployment. Well, it's not. Zero unemployment, zero unemployment in terms of economic theory is less than... I think three and a half percent. Oh, is that the stat? Is that the amount? Okay, I didn't know the numbers. Is that what they use? Three and a half percent is deemed to be full employment if three and a half percent are unemployed. Okay, okay. All right, Dennis, appreciate your point of view. Thank you for that. One thing before you go. You're talking about electricity prices. Let me give you you, uh, uh, an astounding figure. In Ireland, we pay 49.5% per kilowatt. In Spain, they pay 24% per kilowatt. In, Bel- in Portugal, they pay 17% per kilowatt. Why are we the highest charged for electricity in Ireland? Mm, yeah. Why are we paying the highest rate in, in Europe for our electricity? Well, answer why your own question. You tell me why it's 49.5% here. It's because, the, it's because the uh, energy companies are ripping us off. Mm. Look at the profits that they have. Oh, they're obscene. Why hasn't the government taken um, charge of some of those profits? Why don't they, they and don't forget, the, the government owns some of these companies. Okay. Why obscene. are we paying that money? Yeah. Why, do we, why do we tolerate and they it? Have, they have 10 billion in the back pocket. They say they don't know what to do with Well, they had half a billion that they could have spent on housing and um, didn't spend it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. And you know why this government is not doing it? It's because they will not build social houses. They think social housing is below them. They want people to own houses so that people in Fine Fáil and Finnegy can have people vote for them because they figure people who own houses vote for parties that support business. Okay, thanks for that. That's interesting. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of weight in that final comment that Dennis made. But what about all the other points you made, Dennis Hartley? Romania is part of the EU. Anybody from any European Union country has free right to travel across all borders and avail of any state assistance or indeed any job or whatever they wish because they are part of the European Union. Text 0868104106 on that one. Quick ad break to wrap after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. All right, clock is ticking, lads. Let's get moving. Ger McCarthy, where are you, Ger? Hi there, I'm in Shandon. All right, up in Shandon Street, or are you ringing bells in Shandon? Which? I'm on Dominic Street. All right, lovely place to be. A 200 euro gift card for Kilkenny Design to spend on whatever you choose, okay? So, these three songs in the correct order, they're all kind of jewellery and bling related. Are you ready? Yep. Here we go. You shout them out if you like as you're hearing them or we'll do it at the end. Whatever works for you. Here we go. Gold. Gold. Valley. Diamonds are forever, Shirley Bassey. And single ladies, 
Beyonce. Yeah, put a ring on it. Single lady, Shirley Bassey's diamonds are forever and Spandau's gold. Well done. You were fast on the finger. A 200 euro gift card for you for Kilkenny Design, winging its way to Dominic Street. Thanks, Jar. Thanks for listening. Fantastic. Thanks, me. All Brilliant. the best. We'll do it again tomorrow with another 200 euro voucher. Final shout outs for offbeat donuts for the day that's in a Walsh applications in Little Island would love donuts today as they're prepping a stock take. Oh, that's tough. Power aggregates are listening and carry tool needed to help them get to from Monday into Tuesday and the sugar rush would help. Donuts for everybody here at uh, Sports Gear Direct on the Tremor Road to start the week off. Uh, another one, the Dunmanway Oncology Suite in the COH. My daughter is there this morning having chemo and I would love to give it to the patients and the staff. They'd get a great boost. They do Trojan work. And my daughter Robin's getting procedure done in the CUH. And my brother Eddie is getting his knee done as we speak in the bonds. So for the patients and staff who devour the donuts at the CUH, Avancourt Packaging and Ballycoreen are listening to brighten up their Monday. They deserve it because they work so hard. Morning, Lorraine. Another one here then for the boys and girls and the scout leader Shane Kalzers for the 4th Cork Scout Troop took part in the first County Shield at the showgrounds yesterday and they smashed the Lee County Division. Well done. They're getting together tonight and donuts would be great. And a final one for Ballino Care Choice Nursing Home who cared for my aunt for four years but sadly she passed away on Wednesday and I just wanted to say thank you. There's some lovely shout-outs but unfortunately we'll only have one winner. And I'm told that the winner chosen this morning has to be House of Hair and Kinsale who would love donuts for all of the customers and staff but particularly their customers to thank them for their custom. So to Sandra, and I know House of Hair are always listening, so it's great to give them a treat today. Start off the week with the Monday Munchies, sorted, courtesy of ourselves, and offbeat donuts. Right, back after the break for absolutely the last bit. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Just before I go, I was mentioning on the air last week, we had a bit of fun to be had with uh, Neilisms. Things apparently that I say way too often. Audrey Bowman, a Corkonian who listens to the show in Spain, sent me a bingo card, right, full of Neilisms. Um, and it just looks like a bingo card. There are 12 Neilisms on it. Move around there. It's a very bad line. Um, it's a disgrace. We've covered a lot of ground. People who call me Niall. Um, apparently I say, how did that make you feel an awful lot? I also say, poor misfortune. Or I have a term along the lines of, we'll drill down. I say, gotcha too often. I say, love you and leave you. Um, I say, we need to clean up that line. Way too often. Don't even get me started on that. I say, whatever you're having yourself. So they're all in there, all of those nihilisms. And the deal is um, that we're going to post that bingo, nihilisms bingo card, on Twitter, my Twitter page, on the Cork Red FM Facebook page. And in about an hour, I'm going to put it up on my own Instagram page. And you can play along. Jono's, as it will fondly be known as going forward, is O'Sullivan's Bar in Douglas, who are renaming to Jono's, because everybody calls him that anyway. And they've given me a 150 euro voucher that you can spend in Jono's and Douglas. But you need to fill the bingo card first. Easy to play. Just get the bingo card, right? The Neilisms bingo card. It'll be on Twitter. Red FM's Facebook, my Twitter, and also my Instagram page later on. And just have it closely by you. And then listen from tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Start your engines tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And whenever I say <laughs> one of the items on the bingo card, mark it off. Whoever calls us first on 0818 once the card is filled, wins the 150 euro voucher for Jono's. All right, but... 
we'll deal with that when the card is full, right? Whoever is first. So starting your engines tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. because that's when Neil Prendival bingoisms starts at 9 in the morning. Okay? Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.